Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. 5th of November, year of our Lord, 2019. We're going to keep with the backward podcast. Me talking less. Let's get on into new social media nuggets. Were you trying to get crazy with this scene? Don't you know I'm local? Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. Going to start with our military corner because they just can't let it go. The media is still going on about this, and it's so childish. I hate to put it military corner, which is usually just about the military, but the politics of the military have intersected. Conan, the canine that got wounded and actually was a hero of the mission, taken down El Baghdadi. Well, they're sending out, like they're selling T-shirts that people are all tied into it so just like a democrat would do a democrat politician trump tweeted a photo and i'm sure it wasn't him somebody photoshopped his medal of honor ceremony on the dog and this is what we get from the media a white house official said the dog is not at the white house New York Times, the photo President Trump shares said to be an altered version of a 2017 photo of James McCohen receiving a Medal of Honor. McCohen told the New York Times they felt President Trump was recognizing dog's heroism. They are very cur- uh, courageous. In the article, the image, which bears a watermark for a social media account for the conservative news site Daily Wire, appeared to be an altered version of a 2017 AP photo, and the original Mr. Trump is seen awarding a Medal of Honor to James C. McCullough, a retired Army medic who is credited with saving the lives of 10 men during the war in Vietnam. The image he shared on Wednesday is one of several altered photographs featuring the dog and posted in recent day on social media by the Daily Wire. In an interview on Wednesday, Mr. McConnell, who has seen the image before, Reporter said it to him, said the interpreter is Mr. Trump recognizing dog's heroism. He was not offended and laughed when he compared the two images. That's buried in the article. Brandon Mortz. Let me give you a timeline. Trump tweets a fun photo of himself giving a medal of honor to a hero dog. The New York Times launches into action and found the guy who just got photoshopped over, hoping for a juicy angle to hit Trump with, got this. David Ruiz, this is a doctored photo. Those two are joking, but you know who seemed deadly serious? VOA News White House Bureau Chief Steve Herman. 
I requested details from the White House on this photo. There was no such canine event in today's post schedule. But there's a Medal of Armor ceremony set here for later today for an active duty Green Beret. That the image wasn't authentic figures that the media firefighters would have a problem with something like this. SV date. Fine. Just the President of the United States disseminating a doctorate image created by a right-wing propaganda site. Posting Dom memes just like Hitler, people replied. Brit Hume even said, what is wrong with you people? It's just a photo. It it, it was a fun photo that he retweeted. That's all it was. It wasn't huge. It wasn't the end of days. But they are in election mode, and we're still covering that don't give Trump credit for killing a bad guy on CNN. So, so Brian, um, you know, the president, I guess, didn't have to do it, right? I mean, if it turns out that he was embellishing, it was completely unnecessary because, you know, it, it was something um, that is fairly good news, right? And that it, that's interpreted as good news. The, the killing Some of the, of the best leader news of, of the Trump ISIS. presidency. Yeah, so, absolutely. So, so how does one even explain why would the president feel the need to take this approach? For the same reason that he needs uh, to exaggerate everything about his presidency. Uh, I think it is clear a week after the al-Baghdadi raid, he made it up. We, we should just be honest about that. All signs point to the fact that he made up the claims about lying, uh, about crying and whimpering. And he's been doing it all week long, repeating this at other events, swearing that al-Baghdadi was crying and whimpering in those last moments, even though there was no live audio uh, from inside that raid. There was no indication the president was ever told this by anyone in the military. So he seems to have made Made it up. This is par for the course from the president. But we shouldn't get used to this. You know, we teach our children to tell the truth. And we teach our children that the president is supposed to tell the truth. So even when the United States is celebrating a major military victory, uh, I think we should still hold the bar as high as possible for the president of the United States. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. Stephanie Grisham, the White House press secretary, took issue with the New York Times reporting and said here, is it not possible just to celebrate that a terrorist, murderer and rapist has been killed? Yes, of course. I think it's been very clear for a week there's been a celebration uh, that al-Baghdadi is dead. But it is also possible to expect the president to tell the truth. Mm -hmm. And for now, it seems the Republican Party is okay with him spinning up these stories, even about U.S. military action. When when you are running for president, though, you're in an interesting position because you are running against all these Democrats, but you're also running against the person who is currently in office. Today is a particularly interesting day because Donald Trump has come out and he's given the speech about the leader of ISIS being killed. And because of the way he, he, he presented it, the, the, you know, a, a conversation has now sparked from that. People saying, oh, he wants to take credit or he says Obama shouldn't take credit, you know, previously. And who's credit, credit, credit. You tweeted out a congratulatory note, you know, uh, honoring the troops who are involved in this. Do you think a commander in chief should be taking credit for the achievements of the military Oh, uh, and do you think that that's that's their place or should they just be in a place of taking the blame and then moving on? I think it would make sense for the president to um, congratulate those service members and the canine or mm-hmm. dog, as, as <laughs> he refers to it. Um, but, but also, you know, some have made the case, and, it, and it's very compelling to me, that this raid was successful in spite of or despite the president, not not because of him, to turn his back on those Kurdish fighters whose intelligence and help 
uh, located al-Baghdadi in, in the first place and made sure that we were successful. His precipitous withdrawal um, that created a void that Turkey and Russia, Iran, and ISIS and Assad uh, have all come into. It, it is really a miracle that we were able to do this, but, but is really owing to our allies, our friends, our partners on the ground, and those brave service members who put their lives on the line to ensure that there was justice for this country. And they got him during a raid in Syria. Now, President Trump was reportedly golfing when they went in. The raid started at 3.30 p.m. According to his schedule, Trump was playing golf at his course in northern Virginia Saturday until a little after 3. Didn't make it back to the White House until 4.18. Well, Georgetown students will not give credit to the commander-in-chief for the takedown of ISIS leader al-Baghdadi, but they praise Obama for bin Laden's death. Listen to this. So do you think President Trump deserves credit for the killing of the ISIS leader, al-Baghdadi? I mean, I guess it happened despite him. <laughs> Donald Trump. I'm going to take that as a no. Okay, great, whatever, but it's still someone dying. Would you say the same thing about President Obama? Of course, Obama handled the uh, news of the killing of Osama bin Laden with more grace. I think he does. I'm a hypocrite. Great whatever, but it's somebody dying. <laughs> Joining us to weigh in on the campus confusion, campus reform digital reporter Eduardo Neret. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Wow, very eye-opening. Yeah, thanks for having me. This double standard is Trump derangement syndrome. So in, instead of being able to look at both scenarios, President Obama getting Osama bin Laden and President Trump getting al-Baghdadi and say they both deserve credit for authorizing those raids, we see these students and their hatred for President Trump preventing them from looking at the situation objectively and from giving him any credit. And it's a shame because this is something that we should be able to come together as a country and celebrate this great moment when we nab this terrorist leader. But it's not just happening on campuses. Over the weekend we saw President Trump booed at the World Series. We saw the mainstream media react negatively to uh, the getting of uh, al-Baghdadi. So this is just another sad moment where hatred for President Trump is extending far and beyond moments that we should come together as a country. I mean, and then one of the most surprising things to you was that we should not be uh, celebrating as Americans the, the death of al-Baghdadi at all. Yeah, some of these students came out and said, well, I don't know if I want to go on the record celebrating someone's death or should we be taking credit for someone's death? And that's pretty insane to me. And at the Leadership Institute's campus reform, we cover a lot of stories where professors are out on the record telling students President Trump isn't like Hitler. President Trump is a Nazi. And so when students are receiving that information day in and day out, it's almost no surprise that they would think these insane things about terrorist leaders or these insane things about their own president. And so it really puts it into perspective for, for us and for the viewers as to how these professors are teaching their students on college campuses. Yeah. Do you think it's just an indication of what's being taught by these professors, but do you also think that it's really overwhelmingly what they are seeing on social media and what they're hearing from the mainstream media? Well, it's a bit of both. And like you said, if it's on social media, if it's in the mainstream media, but it's also in the classroom, it's also in your dorm hall, it's also amongst your friends. If you're getting this information in every aspect of your daily life, you're not going to get another viewpoint. In fact, your, your crazy viewpoints, your subjective viewpoints on President Trump are going to be justified. They're going to be validated if everyone who you spend time around also agrees the same way. So this is just another double standard. And we also see the liberal double standard because obviously President Obama on campuses is seen favorably. 
favorably. We saw that with some of the student responses, where they were willing to give credit to President Obama for getting mm-hmm. bin Laden, but then looking at Trump and saying, oh, well, you know, I don't think he deserves credit. Yeah. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Some eye-opening report, or reporting for us this morning. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, the time now is about half. Man, you know, you don't want to be called fake news, and this is what you do. There's plenty of shit Obama fucked with. There's plenty of people that were so in love with Obama, they made fucking votive candles about him, for Christ's sake. That's pretty sacrifucking-ligious, but you thought that was okey fucking dokey. Online with this is the fact that a soldier is part of the whistleblower shit now. He's probably going to get court-martialed for what he did. Brett Hume, this is from an article. He was deeply troubled by what he interpreted as an attempt by the president to subvert U.S. foreign policy. There's a huge fallacy in this, and what is it? He's a fucking officer in the Army. It's not his business to make foreign policy. The President of the United States does make foreign policy, and that he did this shows that Lieutenant Colonel fucking fat ass let his politics get away from him. And for that, he should be skull-fucking-drug. Because I bet that fat fuck, and once again, it's not because he's going after Trump. It's what he did. I put up with all the Clinton shit. Getting his dick sucked and putting people out of the army for sucking dick. Or getting their dick sucked, I guess. Really. I mean, but soldiers are getting booted for infidelity all over the place, and he was using cigars as dildos. We're apolitical. He wasn't. He should get killed. Secondly, White House responsible for delayed decision on new Agent Orange disease. And this is pretty bad. There's talk about them holding it up. And this is once again about... Uh, this one's shown... Uh, blah, 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 blah. So decided to add three health conditions. Bladder cancer, Parkinson-like system, and hypo, hypothyroidism. And they're trying to get it added to the Agent Orange so that vets can get taken care of. And for some reason, the White House is sitting on it. So that, that's just not good. But for all you liberals who all of a sudden are big warmongers, Bradley's and Army Infantry rolled into Syria to help secure oil wells. Media fucking ignored it. But they're over there. We have troops in Syria protecting the oil wells. There's videos and everything. If you go to military websites or conservative websites, but on the mainstream media, we didn't cover that shit. He left the Kurds and then took credit with Kurdish intelligence. Yeah, okay. U.S. soldiers relocate Army New Hub in Korea and North build up weapons that can reach it, followed by pressure to speed return. The U.S. military says South Korea can have 15 bases. I'm just going to fucking distill this down. Read this article the other day. When I was in Korea the first time, we were the second to last DMZ patrol, and we gave back the DMZ to South Korea. And then in 2000, when I went back, we were there was the beginning of we're going to downsize and move south, get out of Seoul, and the army was not going to have a thousand scattered bases. We were just going to have some major bases. Well... The process has been serious now. Camp Humphreys is gi-fucking-normous. And now people are starting to go, oh, wait a minute. Maybe that's not a good idea to put all 50,000, 30,000 to 50,000 American soldiers in one area so they can get fucking nuked. And then simultaneously, South Korea, which is on a political pressure from freaking, you know, the domestic policy, want the military pushed off and out of Seoul proper. 
And they're saying we're not handing them over, but there's a whole bunch of bases. It just takes time to build hospitals. It's, you know, Yongsan's down to 5,000 troops. But they're waiting for the hospital to get finished at Humphreys. But it was an interesting story because they interviewed soldiers who never stepped foot off base. They don't have to. It has bowling alleys, restaurants. It's a major post. Humphreys is huge. But I think there's some worry to that. As a guy who served there, when you literally have rock drops, which are like bridges with heavy rocks over top or logs or whatever, at every spur that meets a road to contest every fucking inch of MSR 1, 2, and 3, if you put all the troops in one spot, that's that's pretty scary. And then our sadness on the end. U.S. soldier dies in non-combat incident at Camp Taji. Sergeant Nathan G. Irish died in a non-combat incident at Camp Taji, sometimes called Camp Cook and Baghdad Government. Pentagon officials did not release the cause of death, but said the incident is under investigation. The 23-year-old was assigned to the 25th Support Battalion, 1st Striker Brigade, out of Fort Wainwright, and he hails from Billings, Montana. So I hope his family finds comfort pretty sad let's go to our college crazy and it's a halloween edition because now we have a shit ton of halloween college tells students to avoid dressing as a wall or anything that may resemble a weapon this halloween bridgewater college in virginia were instructed to steer clear of any costumes depicting a wall or using the term illegal immigrant as doing so would trivialize immigration Students were also instructed not to wear costumes with anything that may resemble a weapon, which would be suspendable offense. In preparation for the holidays, students provided with a comprehensive list of costumes not culturally appropriate for Halloween during meetings with their resident assistants. While some categories include the guide are broad, others are oddly specific, such as the section specifically dedicated to geishas, which according to the guideline have been sexualized, sometimes Something, it says, is a problem in and in itself when choosing a Halloween costume. The guide also specifically names men's Arab chic costume as a no-go, knowing that such costumes are highly offensive because they seek to generalize Middle Eastern culture by wearing exactly what the fuck they're wearing. Hmm. Convict costumes trivialize the U.S. prison system. Gypsies are off-limits because even the word gypsy... Or sordid origins and costumes of Native Americans, of course, you, you can't do that. Then at another school, Rutgers, sexy Mr. Rogers Halloween costume enforces gender norms, and we wouldn't fucking want that. I mean, seriously. Professor Rutgers Camden wrote an op-ed lamenting sexy Mr. Roger Rogers Halloween costume that highlight what he sees as holiday's worst stereotypes. Professor Stuart Charme, I'm sure he has had plenty of penis around his face hole. I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> okay, that was inappropriate. Wrote in the Philadelphia Inquirer that it's a sad day in neighborhood when costume makers create a, continue to create Halloween costumes that emphasize traditional gender roles for children and sexualization of women. The costume is played by Fred Rogers, a television personality. Biopic starring Tom Hanks is due out in 2019. According to Charmé, Halloween should encourage children to explore other identities. Ideally, Halloween costumes present an opportunity to expand the possibilities of children's identities, giving children a chance to experiment with clothing, which is one of the major ways gender is expressed. From the moment we dress an infant in pink or blue onesie, clothing is very connected to the understanding of culturally enforced gender representations, and I would say oppression. 
Charmaine goes on to suggest that Halloween is a better experience for boys and girls. Aisle after aisle costumes are pre-coded to delineate those for boys and girls, and any uncertainties are quickly allied by models on the package. Worse yet, as children grow older, commercial costumes offer different models for adolescent boys and girls. Sexy Mr. Rogers sums this up perfectly. Boys' costumes express power and agency, while girls' version emphasize beauty and sexual appeal. A large number of Halloween costumes inspired by comic book movie heroes. Boys' costumes offer extensive choices and possibilities for instant muscle and superhero powers. Not so much for girls. Their limited options usually include extra ruffles and ribbons for younger children and tighter-fitting, revealing, and sexualized costumes. I can't do it anymore! Shut up! Just shut the fuck up. You don't have to buy that shit, but you go to Spirit Halloween or any other Halloween store, fucking slut garb is all you see because that's what women want to dress up as. And why not? Maybe one night a wallflower who spends her day wearing over fucking thick outfits not to show off her body because she's not comfortable with it, decides to come out and show her honkers. What's wrong with that? You know, I, I, ages ago, I talked on this show about when I was young, I went strip clubbing. Underage. Shouldn't have been in there, but I was. Girl comes on the stage. I fell in love. That girl was a junior, or not a junior. She was a senior the year before when I was a junior. And she literally was hot as hell. And the first thing she said to us was she's putting herself to Portland State University. And you never looked at me once. And she walked away. It was her moment to go, yeah, just because I don't dress like a skank don't mean I ain't a sexy woman. So what's wrong with that? Let them come out one night and be fucking freaks. What is wrong with that? If they choose, this is fucking America. If you don't fucking like it, go wear nothing. Because you probably don't. You probably stay at your house and don't hand out candy because it's fucking stupid and it culturally appropriates something somewhere. Jackasses. Universally, a Marin warns cultural appropriation costumes have no place on campus. Uh, did people from other cultures represented by the costume engage negative experiences that people from your culture have not? What are the consequences of generally generalizing people based on the culture? Who should determine the level of harm someone might experience from cultural appropriation? If you're covering yourself in green balloons to imitate a cluster of grapes or dressing up in honor of your favorite dog, you're golden. If not golden retriever. <laughs> on the other hand, costume that relies on American Indian headdress or samurai sword is using an important and sometimes sacred aspect of another culture. And if you do it, you're going to get bitch slapped. Want more? It didn't stop. University of Florida editorial board whimpers over problematic Halloween costumes. The board of the Alligator, a student-run newspaper, University of Florida, published an opinion article warning students against dressing as Indians or donning sombreros. Halloween should be fun, not problematic. Cultural appropriation often rears ugly head during Halloween, as many people find it cute or funny to dress as a racist interpretation of other cultures. Unfortunately, many people don't realize their costumes are insulting. Your costume is a century worth of cultural significance and history behind it. It's not a costume. It's a fucking insult, you bastard! Then there's colleges that said, let's get creative to show that we know how to use goddamn PowerPoint 
College creates Halloween costume guideline to help students avoid cultural preparation. One Pennsylvania college has curated a guide for students wondering which type of Halloween costume to avoid. Dickinson's College Women's and Gender Resource Center, you know they hate men, has posted a guide to assist students in how to assess, assess the appropriateness of a costume. The guide begins prompting students to ask themselves questions like whether or not the costume is offensive to any race, religion, culture, belief, or group of people, and whether or not it reinforces stereotypes. Dickinson does not offer any standard on how to answer this question. Does the costume mock, make fun of, represent a certain group of people, cultural belief? If the costumes do in fact represent other cultures, cultures, the college asks the students to consider whether you, whether people from said culture had negative experiences that people from your culture have not. Boom! It's identical to the previous jackasses. Cal Poly said, hey, we figured out how to use flow charts in our PowerPoint, and they made one. Wear the costume? Oh, don't wear it. Conscientious costumes. Start here. Is my costume supposed to be funny? Yes. Go to the next block. Is the humor making fun of someone's identity? Yes. Do it! Is my costume supposed to be funny? No. Does my costume reduce cultural differences to jokes, stereotypes, or historical cultures? Yes, don't. No. You can wear it. What the fuck? Students warn others to avoid costumes that fetishizes cultures. You LMU's Black Student Union and Indigenous Student Body came up with their shit, your costumes. As you get ready for Halloween, here are some tips that you can put into practice. What is cultural appropriation? The acknowledged or inappropriate adoption of the customs, practices, ideas, etc. A people or society by members of another and typically more dominant people or society. Because remember, once again, you can go to all-black college. White man still power. He's got all the power. That's how the army did it. Those have been with the show a long time. That's how an army got a whole fucking EO survey ass fucked. Excuse my French. It was so jacked up because it said the dominant is a minority or the, the group that represents the most in your company. I was in a basic training unit where I was a drill sergeant. There were two whiteies. Everybody else is black. South Carolina, they want to live by their family. So we were the minority. And they told us to answer it that way, and I did. So did everybody else. The black soldiers answered it, the white man's a piece of shit. And the white soldiers said, well, yeah, there are times they exclude us because we're not black. There was a lot of race problems in South Carolina. But the whole thing came back to the entire army was assed up and everybody was racist. And we had to sit through hours of fucking stupid shit because somebody fomented an actual survey based on reality. Then the army says, fuck that shit. From now on, why are you bad? I don't care if you're the only white dude in a thousand people. You a motherfucker. Shut your mouth. So then, let's get back to the thing. What is cultural appreciation? Honoring and respecting another culture and its practice is a way to gain knowledge and understanding. Why is this costume harmful to Native Hawaiian communities? During the missionary era and following the illegal overthrow of the Hawaiian kingdom, white man bad. It's like four more paragraphs, but that's basically what they said. So they came up with that. So then Campus Reform had the creepy top five Halloween costumes. Poll, majority of students want punishment 
for offensive costumes. Top of the list is a recent survey finding that a majority of American college students support punishments being administered to their peers who wear costumes considered to be highly offensive. The poll conducted by College Pulse found that support for the punishment in the Ivy League institution was 58%. Yeah. Number two. Cultural appropriation is cultural genocide. Ed educators at Maryville University hosted a cultural appropriation and culture appreciation workshop to help students understand the appropriateness of Halloween costumes. According to the slideshow and representation, cultural appropriation is cultural genocide. One listed example for reasons cultural appropriation exists was capitalism. Yeah. They also said don't accessorize. Number three was Sexy Mr. Rogers. Number four was the UF editorial blower. And number five, the flow chart. So there we go. On college, in our papers, on our TV, and if you unfortunately have to work with a bunch of fucking liberals, they will ruin everything. And they ruin that day, which totally goes well with the next one. Gay shit. Hey. Hey, hey, bow, 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 low pump and cut. Hey, gang shit, 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 gang shit.
Yeah. Yeah, that's a perfect way to start off our gay shit. And once again, for those that are new to the show, which, by the way, I want to give a shout-out to... Well, I don't want to use names on here, but we have a new listener, I'm hoping. Old neighbor. I'm just going to say neighbor. I don't do names because I want to highlight people because you might not want to be affiliated with us by the time you get done listening to it. But he was a Leo who lived next to me, and they ran into me while I was moving my truck, and I wasted an hour and a half of their life running my soup coolers. But that gay shit, that gay shit bumper, that, that ain't me. That's some rapper. I found it on YouTube. But um, this is the perfect intersectionality and why people have problems with the far, far left. And that is a drag queen performing an abortion on stage with fake blood and guts and a plastic fotus and a fetus. I don't know why they put fotus. And Christians are raging. Some like New York-based drag queen Blair Black go as zombie cannibal for Halloween, complete with pools of fake blood, splittering guts, and plastic fetuses. They spelled fetus throughout this article because this is a gay website. F-O-E-T-U-S. Um, because I'm fixed for time. Well, let's just fucking find out. Why do gay people call it fetus? Let's, let's do a little searchy here. Why do... Liberals say F. I think they're saying fake fetus. Nah, I can't find it. It's probably fake fetus. Um, the performer uploaded a video of their act, which has gone viral on Facebook, probably because a lot of people are against abortion or simply apoplectic at the post. Shared a group such as Ending Abortion, the clip was criticized by Christian-aligned groups, leading to Black even being called the Antichrist. While the bulk of the backlash came from their anti-abortion groups, some took issue with how Black Pertain can be interpreted and what it may cause offense to people who have suffered miscarriage or have had abortions and feel bad about it. The inspiration from this performance was from a lot of horror movies where a woman got pregnant by an alien and it came out and he tried to do it like it makes fucking sense. But it's a dual whammy on why we have a problem with all this shit. Once again, most of us, even if you're a Christian, are good with you live you, I live me. But when you dog Christianity and portray that, that is so fucking vile, I don't even know what to say. How do I not think it's a mental illness, transgenderism, gender dysphoria, the clinical term, when you do something like that and you think it's normal and you make abortion an act on stage. How? I mean, it's fucking sick, man. If anybody did that for something that you believed in, you'd be like, oh my fucking God. CNN would run it. ABC would run it. It would go crazy. But because they're allies with this fruitcakeism, with all the fucking moon bats that believe this is life. You're the idiot because you believe in biology and science that a man doesn't have a period nor have fucking babies. They ignore shit like this. It was fucking vile. But that's why other than progressives, I'm not saying conservatives. I'm a fucking conservative independent. I'm not a GOP guy. I'm not far right. I can give a fuck what you do in your own life. Get fired up about shit like this. Because we start with University of Arizona. Drag is therapy workshop as kid-friendly. 
University of Arizona hosted a workshop Saturday to help guide individuals through the exploration of cathartic experience of dressing and drag. In a news release obtained by Campus Reform, the university specifically noted that the event would be open to children. The workshop was conducted by a local drag queen, Piranha, who we've covered before, who's gross as fuck. Titled Drag as Therapy, the event was hosted by the University of Arizona Institute for LGBT Studies. The Institute email invitation described Piranha's visit as one meant to provide space for exploration of gender and the art through drag. A guide attendee through the cathartic experience of creating wearable art, makeup looks, and more. We also encourage workshop teams to bring any makeup, costumes, other supplies they already have and would like to work with, wrote the Institute, adding that free makeup palettes, art, and other designing supplies will be available during the youth's workshop. This is an all-age event. It's open to kids. It's kid-friendly. Drake, for me, is therapy to provide the cathartic experience. I'll show examples of costumes are created related to my gender, mental health, which you seriously have some issues there. It, it probably is not, clothing's not going to fix it. You need some medicine. And activism and show important pieces I have seen by other drag performers. I will help people illustrate their designs, select or create materials, participate, will encourage to dig deep and create something that will be hailing for them. I want to give all types of art an ability to incorporate drag to me is expansive. And I hope I can help people bring all they have to the table. From music to poetry to all forms of visual art. I want to provide a messy, uncensored, supportive, and vulnerable community workspace with my twigs and fucking berries still attached. That's not kid-friendly. That's not kid-friendly. If that's kid-friendly then taking a kid to the range is kid-friendly. And you say that's not kid-friendly. You say taking a child, 10, 11 years old, to go shooting is the devil's work. See? See how it feels to be on the other foot? Birth coach hounded out of a job by trans activists after saying only women can have babies, which is actually factually correct, scientifically correct, biologically correct, but this is... UK. The Daily Mail reports that Lindsay McCarrith Calvert was forced to step down as Dula UK's national spokesman and leave the group altogether because she dared to express the controversial p- opinion. For, she was 45, was forced to stand down as spokesman of Dula UK, and since resigned altogether from the National Organization for Birth Coaches. Daily Mail says her exit comes after transgender right activists triggered an investigation into Dula UK, concluded her message breaching, breached its equality and diversity guidelines. The British tabloids news outlet is careful to note that McCarthy Calvert wasn't fired, but resigned after she became a target of a campaign of harassment. Believing Dooley UK had acquiesced to demands with a small number of activists and failed to stand up for women's rights, the incident follows a string of UK controversies surrounding various British entities' embrace of gender-neutral terminology to describe issues that were previously acknowledged to be uniquely female. McCarthy Calvert took issue with the new campaign from Cancer Research UK that encourages women to get a yearly pap smear, a type of cervical cancer screening. That is supposedly why we spend $550 million on Planned Parenthood as they kill off a million kids a year through chemical and mechanical abortions, but whatever. The ad claimed that a pap smear is relevant for everyone 25 to 64, blah, 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 blah. And yeah, I'm not dogging her for the hyphen name because she got fucking fired. Um... Women birth all the people, make up half population, but less than a third of the seats in the House of Commons are occupied by us. She finished by claiming that women who acknowledge biological difference between women and men are often subjected to cries of bigotry and transphobia when they say they don't want to have sex with a woman with a penis. Isn't that the truth? 
We're told the same thing. We're pieces of shit because I don't want to bang a dude with a dick who's wearing a wig. That's how far craziness has gone on the left. It was part last part apparently that caused the uproar. It turns out transgender right activists get prickly when you suggest that only women can give birth. One critic was quick to reply to her post, ripping McCarthy Calvert for absolutely disgusting language and accusing her of forgetting that not only women birth children. How? Two days later, 20 prominent trans activists signed a letter, pushed it, trans exclusionary comments that claim violated Dula UK's carefully crafted committed to diversity. After four months of investigation, she had to leave. UK is ground zero for intersane LGBT warfare over precisely this language. And the chasm between trans activists and more traditional leftists seem to be growing wider, particularly the division between women's rights activists and trans exclusionary radical feminists who claim to want to preserve the gains they've won for women by ensuring that gender binary doesn't go by the wayside. TERFs, which we've covered before, have come under heavy fire for the views. And once again, a TERF is just a normal woman who just hates men. But this is how hard it is to play intersectionality, man. You can't be woke enough. I mean, our next article, they're probably going to get bashed. They probably did this wrong. Because, remember, these motherfuckers are making it up as they go along in this fucking transgender fucking mafia. Apple issues gender-neutral emojis an update. If you thought big tech wasn't confusing enough, Apple has released gender-neutral emojis. The latest iOS 13.2 update issued late October gave users 398 new emojis ranging from animals, new food, and diverse inclusion. Many of the added emojis include new food shapes and additional varieties of emoji depicting people and professions, including a gender-neutral option for painter, welder, and scientist. The USA Today, a totally straight-up news organization, was the first to report this because, of course, mm-hmm, they're lefties. For those new to the show, once again, I refuse that paper in hotels. Because if America was concerned about anything with big tech, it's big tech's discrimination against gender-neutral painters, welters, and scientists, the article says, which is really funny. Apple had released a presser on July 16th announcing some of these upcoming changes. In a major update to holding hands emoji, typically used to represent couples in relationships, users will now be able to select a combination of skin tones in addition to gender to personalize the people's holding hand, opening up more than 75 possible combinations. I'm not reading any more. Jesus Christ on a popsicle stick. All the shit we gotta wear. We're gonna die in 12 years, Apple. How's that fixing climate? I'm asking. You can't make this up. Algorithms suggest for evening the gender playing field. One clearly does not need to be in the concussion protocol to demonstrate how utterly foggy their minds are about things that matter. Take Christine Ashwanden, a writer for Wired, whose grasp of controversy surrounding transgenders and sports defies explanation. She raves about the success of males and women's sports and promotes a handicap system that would use an algorithm to account for physiology, social and socioeconomic considerations to even the playing field among genders. She starts out a bizarre post by announcing that transgender athletes are having a moment at all levels of sports are stepping to the podium and into the headlines. The performance of men dominating women's sports are inherently praiseworthy, shining examples of what humans can accomplish with training and effort. Nope, there's nothing praiseworthy about males winning women co- contest. Nowhere on the debate around transgender rights as stark as they are in sports where the temptation to draw a hard biological line is run up against the limits of what science can offer. The outcome, at least so far, is an inconsistent mix of rules and leaves almost nothing resolved. Allison Heather, a psychologist at University of Otago in New Zealand, tries to help steer Oshweger back on the rails, but only briefly. 
She says that some men athletic performance generally decline as their testosterone is blocked. Males maintain bigger bone structures, greater lung capacity, larger heart size, and muscle memory. An ability to regain muscle mass at the periods of the training by increasing number of nuclei and muscle. And these added nuclei don't go away. So transgender women have heightened ability to build strength even after they transition. Science! Hmm. Then Ashwan then takes us in the twilight zone. She suggests a solution. Heather had a far out there colleague publish an essay in the Journal of Medical Ethics devising a handicap system that uses an algorithm to account for psychological, uh, physiological parameters such as testosterone, hemoglobin levels, height and endurance capacity, as well as social factors like gender identity and socioeconomic status. Such an algorithm would be, be analogous to the division in the para- Paralympics and may also include Paralympians. Instead of two divisions, male and female, there'd be one multiple one and athletes would be placed into a division vision that best mitigates unfair physical and social parameters. So basically what she's saying is we can make an algorithm that only our people win. Lefties, women, gays, black people who lived in the city. Nobody will actually have to win the event. They'll have a handicap. You get an extra 20 seconds, a minus 20 seconds to the beginning of this race. And the 100 meter dash. <laughs> I mean, serious. That's what she wants to do. Somewhere, someplace, CNN's like, oh, that's a good idea. New kids cartoon pushes non-binary characters, celebrates diverse gender. Prepare for trouble. It looks like the new season of Netflix kids show She-Ra and the Princes of Power, coming November 5th, today, will feature the first non-binary actor to voice a non-binary animated character in a recurring series. Series, Sorry. Netflix LGBTQ Instagram account Prism was so excited to make the announcement that they produced a video performer, Jacob Tobai, talking about the character. Tobai recently wrote a memoir titled Sissy, a coming of gender story, said, I play a character called Devil Trouble, who's a non-binary, shape-shifting mercenary, so functionally I'm playing myself. I'm not reading anymore, I'm just going to let us listen to this, because this is not child abuse. No, it's not. This is what all our kids need. Hi, I'm Jacob Tobiah, and I am so excited to announce that I'll be joining the cast of She-Ra and the Princesses of Power for season four. I play a character called Double Trouble, who is a non-binary, shape-shifting mercenary, so functionally I'm playing myself. Ta-da! Thank you. Thank you. Fantasy has always been so like vital to me because as a non-binary person, it's it's a way of escaping the confines of the world we live in, right? It's the way of building other realities and imagining the world as it could be, not as it is. Having non-binary representation in uh, animated shows for young folks is just so vital because Young people today are already understanding that gender is diverse and a broad spectrum from a super early age, right? So it's about time that the shows that we're making for young people reflect the world as they understand it. I'm excited for everybody to see Double Trouble live up to their namesake. What the fuck fuck? What the fuck fuck? Why do kids need to see that? Once again, all my pushback on transgenderism began the moment that Macy's decided that we need to drag dudes on the parade. And their reply to me was, go fuck yourself. We're here for everybody. And they went on a world tour 
and they subsequently started store closing stores because it wasn't my racist, homophobic, transphobic ass. It was a lot of people. I closed my account, paid off my balance, and I've never stepped foot into Macy's again. And I was a huge Macy's shopper. I used to drive to Nashville and buy stuff for my wife. They had really nice stuff. I liked Macy's, especially during Christmas because of the whole fucking Miracle on 34th Street stuff. You know what I mean? But that's when I started pushing back. Then they had two girls kissing last year. And once again, the way the media covers is all these transphobic bigots. No. It's a holiday event. We have our children. I had explained to my two grandkids, because my super liberal daughter wasn't in the room, why dudes were dancing in dresses. And I said, oh, there's playing around. It's just a jokey thing. Now they probably think that's the coolest thing ever because their mom has brainwashed them that transgenderism is the best thing ever. Sweet fucking Jesus. Well, I got hope for one of my grandkids. He doesn't talk like that. Netflix show. Penguins are gay and climate change kills them. Intersectionality! Woo! We got two things at once. Netflix premiered season three of Atypical, a show a teenager on the autism spectrum on Friday, November 1st. shows many positive points, particularly the way it highlights how a young man on the spectrum can, in fact, succeed academically and socially. But like all things Hollywood, this season is marred by some leftist nonsense. In episode nine, Sam Takes a Walk, the show pushes a climate change narrative about dying penguins in Argentina. Lead actor Sam Keir Gilchrist is assigned in his scientific drawing class to write about a political issue. Sam is non-political, but his professor insists he must come up with a topic. He decides to vote as a project to Magellan Penguins of Argentina and tells his girlfriend all about it. Blah, 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 blah. They're all gay because they tried a study that we already proved on the show was bullshit and that both gay penguin dudes that they were crowing about five, six years ago went back and found some girls and got their freak on and made a bunch of little penguins. But liberals still stick to the gay penguin. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's that's just fucking great. You guys are so woke. Nets skip Joe Biden being denied communion for abortion views while trying to receive Holy Communion at South Carolina's St. Anthony's Catholic Church. Vice President 2020 hopeful Joe Biden was denied by the priests. Citing Biden's support for the abortion, the liberal media were once floored by Biden's support for the Hyde Amendment, but welcome his buckle to the political pressure and the radical demands. So it's no wonder ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, MSDNC, PBS ignored it and never put it out. The only person that covered it was Fox News. Hmm. Brandon Morse, Pennsylvania Democrat, a miscarriage is just a mess on a napkin. It refers specifically to the product of conception after fertilization, which covers an awful lot of territory. I think we all understand the concept of the loss of a fetus, but we're also talking about a woman who comes into the, a facility and is having cramps and the, not to be, not to be concrete, an early miscarriage is just some mess on a on a napkin. And I'm not sure people would agree that this is something that we want to take to the point of ritual, uh, either cremation or internment. Once again, folks, to some people, a miscarriage is a big deal. It makes them very sad because they wanted children. They wanted to procreate. And the reason why I cover stuff like this 
As our media still talks about one congressman saying the best form of birth control is for a woman to hold a aspirin between her knees. That was a whole election cycle. Or Sandra Fluke. I always go back to that. It's an easy one-liner. She's a slut. A radio host said it. Every GOP candidate must have said it too. That That's where we're at, folks. Then we have this winner, winner chicken dinner. It comes from the UK again. Billboard in London encourages white people to sterilize themselves. I imagine a city less crowded. Do your part. Get sterilized. Yay. And it's all white people. Charlie spot in London, Holloway Road. Funny the sign doesn't meet the usual diversity requirements of all the other around London. The billboard also appeared in London encouraging white people to sterilize themselves to solve overpopulation. Uh, the advertisement portrays a notable lack of diversity as it only features characters of white people and no people of color. Another Twitter user responded to the image by noting that similar billboard had been erected in a hometown of Portugal and it so celebrate low birth rates and it's all basically light-skinned Argentinians. Then back in 2017, Londoners were hit with a different message after someone painted sex with refugees as jasmine-scented and beautiful. Vice UK covered that. So, you know, once again, in London, you have to have all that. It has to have a checkmark for everything. Everything has to be checkmarked. Got to have one of everything. It's kind of like watching Grey's Anatomy. Quick hit, quick hit, pilgrims equated to Nazis in Holly Hulu's holiday horror anthology, Into the Dark. It is some fucked up shit when you read it. Bloomberg, raising taxes on the wealthy could deliver something meaningful that millions of Americans would feel rather quickly. Happiness. Listen to this excerpt. Raising taxes on the wealthy could deliver something meaningful that millions of Americans could feel rather quickly, happiness. Recent research found that progressive taxes may make the average citizen happier and more content. In the course of their study, psychological, psychological, psychologists, sorry, Shakshiro Oshii and Kostinden Kushtev of the University of Virginia and Yurik Shamak of the University of Toronto eschewed the usual debate about tax increases. Are they bad for economic growth? Instead, they focused on a more emotional one. Do Americans feel happier and experiencing a greater sense of fairness under more progressive taxation? Somebody responded, Ah, yes, the joys of participating in a mob. You know, in every other part of the world that we live in, Liberals push you must eat their shit and drink their fucking Kool-Aid. But when it comes to financial shit, oh, we all need to be the same. I don't look at my neighbor's brand new car and go, that motherfucker, why does he have one? It's none of my goddamn business. That used to be what American freedom and everything was about. But now for liberals... It's about, that ain't fair, I want free, so let's fuck everybody makes a bunch of money. Once again, everybody in Hollywood that pushed this shit, all the billionaires and trillionaires that are financing the Democratic fucking National Committee, and all the candidates right now, which we'll see are shitload in our hate tweets today. Hey, cough up money. You can send a check to the fucking U.S. Reserve, man, it's all good. Critics worry new act could fine users up to $30,000 for memes. 
The House representative voted to approve a new measure that would eradicate Internet jokes which use copyrighted characters forever by threatening users with a $30,000 fine. The House representative voted overwhelmingly 410 to 6 in favor of the CASE Act. Some have nicknamed the legislation the Anti-Meme Law. The CASE Act, or Copyright Alternative and Small Claim Enforcement Act, which was proposed by Congressman Hakeem Jeffries, a Democrat, to help content creators utilize a small claim court for copyright infringement, as a current law means copyright disputes must go through more expensive federal courts. Do we really need that? It's a fucking meme. Seriously. As we'll see in our hate tweets again, they're trying to regulate social media, so if you don't say what they want you to say, you don't get to say it anymore. Just like in life. Starbucks sued for discriminating against white people. A former regional director of Philadelphia Starbucks Cafe at the center of a racially charged incident that sparked national protest of the company is now suing her former employer for racial discrimination. The company, she alleged, fired her, a white female, and unfairly punished other white employees in order to appease protesters. And this all goes down to the guys who were asked to leave, and they didn't? Yeah. yeah. She's suing for that. That that doesn't surprise me. So, just doesn't. To our crime section, then we're going to hit a music break. Christmas music for the rest of the time, folks. It's that time of season. And we'll go into our hate section, and then we'll close the show with hate tweets. Mouth cancer rates reach record high. Is oral sex to blame? They're still pushing this big thing that if you eat clam or blowjobs, you're getting mouth cancer. Woman found dead with eight-foot python wrapped around her neck in a house of snakes. And I just call that fucking karma. And another woman got caught with frickin' meth in her Gucci. And she said it wasn't hers. I once again propose, it's yours. To a music break on the other side, our violent left. And it will start with the Nationals. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire Jack Frost nipping at your nose Yuletide carols being sung by a choir And folks dressed up like Eskimos Everybody knows A turkey and some mistletoe Help to make the season bright Tiny tots with their eyes all aglow Will find it hard to sleep tonight They know that Santa's on his way He's loaded lots of toys and goodies on his sleigh And every mother's child is gonna spy To see if reindeer 
really know how to fly And so I'm offering this sample phrase To kids from one to ninety-two Although it's been said Many times, many ways Merry Christmas to Although it's been said many times, many ways, Merry Christmas to Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. Trump is changing Washington, creating 6 million new jobs, 500,000 new manufacturing jobs, cutting illegal immigration in half, obliterating ISIS, their caliphate destroyed, their terrorist leader dead. But the Democrats would rather focus on impeachment and phony investigations, ignoring the real issues. But that's not stopping Donald Trump. He's no Mr. Nice Guy, but sometimes it takes a Donald Trump to change Washington. I'm Donald Trump, and I approve this message. So I'm not going to play the sound bites, but by now, if you're conservative-leaning or you've been on Twitter, it doesn't really matter. It is blown up. National Suzuki Don's mega hat gets Trump hug at White House. Washington National catcher Kurt Suzuki Don a Make America Great a hat during the team's visit to the White House Monday to celebrate his World Series victory. He also got a big hug for the president. Trump put his hands on Suzuki's shoulder and hugged him from behind. I love you all, Suzuki told the crowd. I love you all. Thank you. What a job he did. I didn't know what was going to happen, Trump said to the laughter of the crowd. Trump flanked by First Lady, blah, 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 blah. The hearts of baseball fans across the region. America fell in love with the Nats, Trump said. Remind us all why baseball is truly America's pastime. Most of the national players and coaches were in attendance, but eight key people, key contributors, and they list them. Palmer Report. 
shows where we're at on the left. And once again, that's an actual publication. That's a news media. Putting on a mega hat in the, is a form of racist hat hate speech and an implicit threat of violence. Kurt Suzuki should be banned from baseball. If you don't like this tweet, fuck you. A liberal. I don't agree with Suzuki one bit, but banning someone from wearing a hat would mean we'd live like North Korea. Palmer Report. If he wore a swastika hat, he'd get banned from baseball, and a mega hat's no difference. Other people. Man, I love Palmer Report. Whenever I want to know what the late, least thoughtful, salt, softest, saltiest people in the country are saying, I just come here and get the distilled version. It's a really wonderful time saver. I can't wait for 2020. Brian Zimmerman to Trump. We'd also like to thank you for keeping everyone safe in the country and continuing to make America the greatest country to live in in the world. Another one. We've come a long way, Mr. President. And I'm proud. I am so proud to tell people when you read about the Washington Nationals, you read about them in the sports section. Yeah. There's a whole Twitter moment. It just took lefties and made them lose their mind. Because what they want to report, because getting loudly booed at one major sporting event in a week is not enough, Trump needs to stick to going to NRA convention prayer events hosted by Franklin Graham and meetings where people are wearing white hoods. Anna Navarro. That's why they got mad. They had a whole week to sit and say, hey, he got booed at a baseball game. Because that's what they wanted to report. That's what they wanted to report. He's hated. If you don't hate him, you're a piece of shit. You're a racist. But the Twitter moments, Suzuki was trending. Liberals were talking shit. I just want to remember, one hockey player wouldn't see Obama. There were hundreds of articles. USA Today was on this in 2.3 seconds, dogging this poor Suzuki guy, who, by the way, isn't white. The compliments he got were from people who are non-white. And that also pisses him off. Because remember, he's a racist. Ilian Omar comes in with our anti-Semitism. The humanitarian crisis created by our sanction on Iran is unconscionable. Ordinary Iranians bear the brunt and more than 3 million people are unemployed. This is why we shouldn't rush to sanction countries. Code Pete director visited what's a museum, which used to be our embassy. Note, when Iranians chant death to America, death to Israel, they're not calling for the death of people, but empire and imperialism. Cultural competency. Then, Stephen Miller is marrying one of Pence's people we covered before, Molly Jong Fast, a reporter, Someone is marrying Santa Monica Goebbels. Responses, even Nazis have wives, Nazi babies. Yeah. Yeah, there's your, there's your tolerant left. Omar, Bernie will fight against Western imperialism. Here's what that could mean. It's a huge article. But I'd like to show you what she didn't talk about. Me now, 
Yeah, that's Israel being rocket attacked again. Media ignored that shit. Remember, she's for that. We're somehow imperialistic because we defend Israel, defend oil wells, defend the impact of what radical Islam does that she supports. And why is a U.S. representative saying words that sound right out of the mouth of Al-Qaeda? I usually don't give my show over to other people, but one of her sisters, AOC, Tucker Carlson took her down, and I like it. Ocasio-Cortez is the youngest member of Congress. She turned 30 just a couple of weeks ago. She's barely old enough to rent a car. And yet already she's one of the most powerful politicians in America. 18 months ago, nobody in Washington had heard of the Green New Deal. Today, it's at the very center of the Democratic agenda. Ocasio-Cortez did that. So there's a reason she's famous. It's not just hype. She's impressive in a lot of ways. And even if you disagree with her, you ought to admit that. She's legitimately tough, for one thing. Strength is a prerequisite for success in politics, as in life. Ocasio-Cortez is. She's one of the only Democrats in the House who's totally unintimidated by Nancy Pelosi. When she got to Washington, party bosses tried to make her moderate her views for public consumption, but she refused. Unlike most members of Congress, Ocasio-Cortez actually believes most of what she says. She understands that something profound has gone wrong in America. The country is dangerously unequal. Fixing that will require going to war with the entrenched establishment, which is currently profiting from the status quo. Ocasio-Cortez is happy to do that. When Amazon decided to demand subsidies in order to come to New York, she was one of the very few who asked why we would send tax dollars to the world's richest man. When all the fashionable people in her party decided that Elizabeth Warren should be the nominee, Ocasio-Cortez endorsed Bernie. She's an independent spirit, one of the very few in Washington. And it's easy to see why young people listen to her. And in the end, that is the problem with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. It's not her economic views, the ones that get all the attention. Yes, she's a wild-eyed left-winger who's pushing socialism on the country. Her ideas may be stupid and wrong. We think they are. But they're still, undeniably, ideas. You can debate them. We often do. The problem is the rest of what she says. There's a darker side to Ocasio-Cortez, and it has nothing to do with the Green New Deal. She's an unapologetic bigot, someone who attacks others for the way they were born. There's nothing legitimate about that. You can't debate bigotry. It's pure poison. It's terrifying to think that someone who spews open racism has become a role model for our young people, but that is exactly what has happened. And it's been happening since Ocasio-Cortez arrived on the public stage. During her first run for Congress last year, Ocasio-Cortez suggested that the incumbent who held the seat didn't deserve to be in Congress because he was the wrong race. By election day, her opponent was literally apologizing for his own skin color. When he accused Ocasio-Cortez of making the election about race, she didn't run from it. Quote, it is about race, end quote. Not so long ago, a campaign like that would have been considered deeply immoral. The press would have hounded Ocasio-Cortez until she apologized or dropped out, but not anymore. A ruling class no longer recognizes universal standards of any kind. Racism, they've decided, cuts only one way. So they ignored Ocasio-Cortez's race baiting, and she got elected. Over time, like any untreated virus, her bigotry grew more inflamed. Here was Ocasio-Cortez just last week in a public hearing explaining that actually global climate change is the fault of a specific racial group. Watch. 
Do we see largely that it's the global south and communities of color that may be bearing the brunt of the initial havoc from climate change? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. And in terms of, of that wealth, the people who are producing climate change, the folks that are responsible for the largest amount of emissions or communities or corporations, they tend to be predominantly white, correct? Yes, and every study backs that up. The people that are producing climate change, end quote. That's right, those people, the ones destroying the earth, driving entire species to extinction, killing children. Ever notice how all those people look alike? They've got something in common, don't they? That's right, they're the same color. That's what she's saying. Standards have changed so much that it's hard to say something genuinely shocking in this country anymore. But that qualifies. For all the hysteria that you hear about how the president is a racist, Donald Trump has never said anything close to that. Nothing close to as bigoted and vicious as that. The people wrecking the world are all of one race? Who talks like that? In fact, it's hard to think of anyone in American life saying anything that disgusting and foolish and dangerous. If so, exactly what would it be? And yet, and here's the amazing part, nobody seemed to even notice when Ocasio-Cortez said that in the middle of a congressional hearing. Our rulers acted like it was all totally normal, because increasingly for them, it is normal. This is an ominous development for this country. Talk like this will destroy us. It has come close before, as you know. It's possible that Ocasio-Cortez doesn't really know what she's saying. You'd like to think that she doesn't. Maybe she's just young and lacking wisdom and can't hear herself. The problem is that others can hear her clearly. Every time she encourages her followers to hate and distrust other people based on their race, some of them will. And over time, this is how countries fall apart. So going forward, here's a plea to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Keep saying what you think is true. Keep taking jabs at the establishment in Washington. Even those of us who disagree with you will cheer you on. But my gosh, please, for the sake of the country and the children you don't yet have, please stop attacking people for the color of their skin. They can't change who they are, and neither can you. We all have to live here together anyway, and we won't be able to if you keep this up. Pretty good stuff. Finally, one of the uh, staffers is getting Busted for Kavanaugh in September 2018, Kavanaugh confirmation sharing. Someone was posting in personal information to a Republican senator who was requesting Kavanaugh or questioning Kavanaugh. The person turned out to be 27-year-old Democratic staffer Jackson Costco, who had worked as an intern in Sheila Jackson Lee. Yeah, that crazy bitch. This July, Costco was sent into prison not only for doxing the senator, but for perpetrating the largest data theft in Senate history. We hadn't heard her name before, but another person has been sentenced in the case. Fox News reports that a second Democratic aide, Samantha DeForest Davis, 24, if you got a hyphen name, you're a douchebag, was sentenced to two years of supervised probation with 200 hours of community service with suspended sentence. Davis is formerly an aide to Senator Maggie Hassan. Ryan Fortenay, another one goes down. Why is this not in the media? Why? There's also the people that lied. Coming to a theater to you. Call to arms. I got this in the hate session because it's kind of scary. Private group seeks armed volunteers to protect Trump rallies. Oath Keepers, which calls itself a nonpartisan, said in notice on his website that it needs help keeping the rallies attendees safe. After a recent Trump rally in Minneapolis that we cover, people can beat the fuck down. We generally use both armed and unarmed volunteers in our security operations. So if you have a CCW, 
valid in Mississippi, that may be very useful. If you don't, please volunteer anyway, since we also have the role for unarmed volunteers. And I put it in here because that's dangerous to begin with, but that's how bad it is, and our media doesn't cover it. We cover it every podcast. There's not a rally that goes down that I don't find something on Twitter of somebody getting the beat down because they wore a fucking hat. Here's another. Suspected Antifa member shows up reporter's family home, doxes his elderly mother's business, and that is Andy NGO. On camera, they wore cutout faces of him and surrounded his house. Media ignored. Then we got faith leaders take photo praying for Trump. Trump critics mock them. I'm not even reading it. I'm not going to read it. The shit they said in here is just fucking horrible. It's just fucking horrible. I'll just read Molly Jong fast. Why I'm an atheist. There you go. If you're an atheist, why do you give a fuck if somebody prays to something you don't even believe in? Why do you care? Why do you comment? Then we have our Hollywood Roundup. Celebrity rage. Actors threaten punching Trump. Fantasize about his assassination. In just the past few weeks, we've seen the so-called tolerant celebrity left enraged at Ellen for laughing with George W. Bush and expressing gratitude for a Republican senator getting beaten up. One actor threatened Donald Trump with a left hook from hell, and another fantasized about him being assassinated. I'm going to knock out Trump with a left hook from hell. Mickey Rourke. That piece of shit that's sitting in the White House, that fucker, that lying cocksucker, that goddamn no-good bleep, two-faced bleep, piece of shit. He said some really nasty things about two of us. There's going to be a day when he ain't president. I'm going to bump into each other and you're going to feel me. Uh, Left hook from hell. Maybe Trump will get assassinated in Dallas, just like JFK. Tom Arnold. I don't promote violence unless it's against Republicans. Bent Miller. Get away from that war criminal, Ellen. Yeah, we saw that one. Uh, That was Mark Ruffalo. Will and Stargrace, Deborah Messing. This is pathetic. You can't pretend to be a human being now after what you said about Elijah Cummings. Bent Midler. POTUS post a phony eulogy. We already covered those. The boss thinks Donald is frightening. This is Bruce Springsteen, who I give two shits about. It's just frightening. We're living in a frightening time. The stewardship of the nation has been thrown away to somebody, Donald Trump, who doesn't have a clue as what that means. The United States of America is in your care. Do you know what the stakes are? Do you know what that means? And unfortunately, we have somebody who I feel don't have a grasp of deep meaning of what it means to be an American. Well, it must not be you either, because you play concerts for a whole bunch of motherfuckers and they don't get elected. Hughley, killing... N-word babies sounds like White House website. Yeah, we covered that one. That was some good shit. Dictator checklist from Bill Maher. We covered that. Pink Pinocchio in the White House. You couldn't write this stuff. It's so ridiculous. We have this pink Pinocchio in the White House, and I'm surprised his nose doesn't pe- penetrate the television screen. The amount of lies this man talks. I'm not reading anymore. You can keep your own doctor. That's all I got to say. You shut the fuck up. And then the tolerant left with the wildfires. Yeah. Reagan Library. They just couldn't help themselves. It's amazing, Ali. Think about it. The amount of fires we are seeing every year, yeah. the length of the season, 
It does make you wonder, right? As you said the other day, the length of the season has now extended more than 100 days. And if you're wondering why these raging wildfires are getting worse and worse by the year, take a look no further than the climate crisis. Now, according to climatecentral.org, human-caused climate change is responsible for more than 50% of the increase in something called fuel aridity since the 1970s in the western United States, most notably in California. Now, why is that bad? Well, fuel aridity is a measure of how dryness turns vegetation into tinder or fuel for fires. Increased fuel aridity makes for dry and flammable vegetation, which in turn regers, uh, alters the region's entire ecosystem. In California, the coastal wetlands are crucial. The fourth national climate assessment says they protect things like the state's water quality and they provide uh, habitat for plants and wildlife. But as sea levels continue to rise, the coastal shorelines tend to suffer, and with higher temperatures, you could expect more of something called evapotranspiration. This is the process by which water is transferred from land to the atmosphere by evaporation from soil and plants. Now, when this process is escalated uh, or accelerated, it reduces the ability for precipitation to replenish soil moisture and surface water, which equals, you guessed it, more dry conditions greater fuel aridity. Dry conditions in parts of the western United States have gotten so bad that the region sees some of the hottest temperatures on Earth, and it's largely due to the steady increase in greenhouse gas emissions, which started to really escalate in and around 1880 uh, with the Industrial Revolution. 33 years later, right, in 1913, the world record high temperature was in Death Valley, California, 134 degrees Fahrenheit. And climatologists predict if there isn't a significant reduction in those emissions, patterns of extreme heat in dry regions are only going to get worse, which, of course, will cause more and more wildfires. We're hitting climate in our hate tweets, but that's them saying it's climate change that are starting fires. No, it's you're living where you're not supposed to live. And the Reagan Library was actually saved by goats. They employ something that keeps the brush away from the library, and it worked. The goats. Jerry Brown snarls at Trump administration about the fires. The blood is on your soul. Yeah. Um, France San Francisco Chronicle reported that Brown, who cited climate change as a cause of the wildfires, accused Republicans of being flat-earth science deniers, adding California's burning while the deniers make a joke out of the standards that protect us all. The blood is on your soul here, and I hope you wake up, because this is not politics. This is life. This is morality. This is real. This is your inability to keep the fucking brush down, Jerry. Then the liberals go crazy over it could have got the Reagan Library. Wednesday brought the distributing and sad, uh, d- disturbing, sorry, and sad news that wildfires were threatening the Reagan Library. Well, it was sad news to most people, but that didn't stop a few prominent liberals in and out of the media from their either gloating or blaming conservative action on global warming, just like they blame Reagan for AIDS. But they solved AIDS under his rule, whatever. Philadelphia Inquirer columnist and occasional CNN guest Will Bunch used the dangerous fires as an opportunity to hype his anti-Reagan book and to tout this as what goes around comes around. Ronald Reagan, as I wrote in my book, Tear Down This Myth, took the solar panels off the White House roof to mock Jimmy Carter on energy conservation. Now wildfires fueled by climate change are threatening his president library in Simi Valley. Yeah. 
Nice guy. Rick Pearlson, author of anti-Reagan and anti-Richard Nixon books, also a favorite on MSDNC and CNN, called the fires awful, but he couldn't resist musing about the comeuppance to the memory of a man who warded off environmentalism. Awful lot of precious, irreplaceable things there. I'm not comfortable by the comeuppance to the memory of a man who warded off environmentalism with the daft fallacy that economic prosperity of our people is a fundamental part of our environment. Julian Castro, the 0.6% candidate, he doesn't even get 1%. In 2016, the Reagan Library hosted a GOP primary debate in which Republican question of climate change even existed. Now the library is threatened by wildfires more intense than ever before due to climate change. Other ones. Climate change-fueled wildfires threatening the Reagan Library is way too spot-on of a metaphor. Ronald Reagan is a piece of shit. Christopher Hooks. It would be pretty on brand for 2019 for the Reagan Library to burn down due to climate change. Another one. For the defenders of the Reagan Library, Reagan and his administration responsible for policies that accelerated climate change. California fires are catastrophic due in part to higher temps, stronger winds, climate change. Brandy Jensen, a fitting end of the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library, would indeed be losing it and all the knowledge contained therein. Another one, the Ronald Reagan Library staff is evacuating all his records except for the ones about arms sales. Another one, if the Reagan Library catches fire, they're just going to spray water on the trees surrounding it and let it trickle down. And it goes on and on and on. But then the money shot. Thanks to firefighters and the work of goats, the Ronald Reagan Library was saved. If you look at the picture, it was the goats. The fire didn't even get close because they took care of the brush. All you have to do is watch Live Rescue. They talked about it. You're building houses where they're not supposed to be, and then you don't keep the brush down. Even in where I live, which is the woods, I keep the brush down. Because if you don't, a wildfire will get to your house. I mean, you already have flying kite embers that are going to burn your shit. That has nothing to do with climate change. We've had forest fires in California as long as I'm alive. And when you don't do anything about the brush, which is what environmentalists said at last fire season. So, let's do media hate. I want to start with a a very smart man saying everything the media does is connected to the Democrats, and then I'm going to prove it. We see the Democrat debates where the media are not effectively questioning these proposals and these ideas and these... These, these, these notions of these leftists, all leftists, who are running for president on the Democrat side. Which brings me to the media. You and I have been observing the media, politics for a long time now. What do you make of what the media have been doing in the last few years since the Trump presidency? They've really come out of the closet like the, the Democratic Party, like the left wing of the Democratic Party, and shown that they're completely tied uh, to the Democrats and their agenda. You see during some of the debates where one of the uh, mainstream media questioners uh, apologized for Biden. Your son's been falsely accused. Anderson Cooper. And it was Anderson. 
Uh, he's been falsely accused of this. So he puts that in the question, which is a subjective determination. It's not an objective uh, statement of fact. And they don't even admit their bias. It's outrageous. You have, I talk about uh, Molly Hemingway and David Harsanyi in the book talking about the bogus fact-checking the media does. They will make subjective judgments there, too, and claim that they're uh, fact-checking, such as whether Trump is pro-border or anti-border, pro-wall. They, they'll, they'll denominate, they'll, they'll uh, talk about opinions as being fact. It's just a... a like PolitiFact and other entities yes, like that. Yes, and And so they're in cahoots. The good news, Mark, is I also talk about, there's, there's some polling that shows that people now, even Democrats, will admit in candid polling that they know the Democrats are liberal and trying to help the Democratic Party. That is the media. The media, I mean. yeah. yes. Media. Media has a great affinity for Barack Obama, who sicked the FBI on James Risen at the New York Times, James Rosen at Fox, the Associated Press. They have a great affinity for FDR, who sicked the IRS against Annenberg in the Philadelphia Inquirer, yep. against Gannett. Great affinity for John Kennedy, who used the IRS and FBI against his political opponents. LBJ did the same thing. Trump hasn't done so to validate what he says, don't tell citizens you're going to take their guns. Just take them. Cops are all racist. Fox is racist. People in Trump Guard are kooky. But all that hopey changey, that shit was okay. And Behar rails. The rallies are faked. And everybody there are actors. That's the DNC convention, wasn't it? He did a lot of, like, battleground culture war, and he ran as the most left, most woke candidate, and look where he ended, one of well, the first yeah, guys They should not tell everything they're going to do. Like, if you're going to take people's guns away, wait till you get elected, then take the guns away. <laughs> Don't tell them ahead of time. Which, by the way, that's what, that's what people like me think you're going to do. That's what people like me think is going to happen, but so I appreciate exactly. his honesty. My next guest is a longtime friend of the show, civil rights attorney Benjamin Crump. He's been on the front line of major controversial cases, including those involving Trayvon Martin and Michael Brown. He's now out with a new book called Open Season, Legalized Genocide of Colored People, in which he argues the criminal justice system in the U.S. prejudiced against blacks and only protects those who are wealthy and white. Your book, you talk about genocide, and I'm sure some will say that's a strong term. Why did you use that term in describing what is going on with black Americans uh, in terms of the relationship with law enforcement in this country? Yes, Reverend Al, it was intentional. And I'm very unapologetic in using that term because we have to look at what is happening to our children. When you and I and the leaders of National Action Network were in Ferguson, Missouri, after the tragic killing of Michael Brown, who had his hands up that afternoon and was killed in broad daylight, a young man said, right in front of the National Guard with all the cameras there, and they were trained on him, sent a mask. He said, go ahead and kill me now uh, while the cameras are here because you all are going to kill us when they're gone. It's important that the world see how you all are killing us. Uh, 
And that was riveting to me, Reverend Al, because he was right. It is important for the world to see how they're killing us, but not just in these high-profile police shootings with bullets, but more poignantly, how they're killing us in the courtrooms with that law itself that is supposed to protect us. One in every five black men in America, uh, if you look at the statistics across state lines, are convicted felons. And experts believe if this trend continues in the next 25 years, every black man, one or three out of every black man in America would be a convicted felon. So how can you say that this isn't a subtle way of them killing us, whether with bullets or with the law? His new book is called Open Season, Legalized Genocide of Color People. Crump examines how racist practices within the criminal justice system impact America, from police brutality to voter suppression. And there was this one young man I remember specifically who confronted the National Guard who had the assault rifle yeah. pointed at him. And he said, go ahead and kill me now with all the cameras here. You're going to kill us anyway when yeah. they're gone. And he said, it's important that the world sees how you all are killing us. And that stayed in my mind. Mm-hmm. It's important. Ben, a lot of people are uncomfortable having this conversation. Yeah. How do we have it? You look at the empirical data, we have empirical evidence here that we talk about those things that even though black men make up only 7% of the population in America, we make up almost 50% of the population on death row. You have a chapter called White Men Are Not Shot in the Back, and you give several examples of unarmed black men who are killed. And yet there are white suspects who have done mass shootings that are still alive. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, two things, Gail, even whether it is hands up, don't shoot, Mm -hmm. black people, brown people are killed in some of the most unbelievable ways when they have encounters with police officers. Uh, Michael Brown was walking, hands up, don't shoot in Ferguson. Then you have Ernest Hoskins, who we talk about, a young man who was having a, a debate with his boss in front of his three employees, and his boss blew his head off and claimed, stand your ground. Mm-hmm. And then you see Pamela Turner, who's having a mental illness crisis, and the police officer shoots her five times while she's on the ground and he's on his feet. And so you say, Then on the other side, you have Dylan Roof. Oh, uh, you have did Dylan the shooting Roof. in Charleston. You who's have alive. shooting in Parkland, Florida. And white men who are confirmed mass murderers mm-hmm. are arrested and protected. Arrested and, and Roof protected. They take him to Burger King after they know he's killed nine of the most innocent people you could ever find. Trump branded plastic straws, a Where's Hunter t-shirt, following the embarrassing Sharpie Gate autographed fine point markers, and a Stop the Witch Hunt Halloween poster. All of this is viral, news-driven merchandise that can be found on the Trump 2020 website. Many critics have called this merchandise idiotic and embarrassing for the Republican Party. But here's the thing. It doesn't just raise money and fire up the president's base. This glib gear has got a way more important function. A new report out by Monica Alba and myself details how the Trump campaign is using these online purchases to collect big, big data. Let me help you understand this. When the president goes out and sells a Where's Hunter t-shirt, 
True conservatives, classic conservatives, aren't rushing out to buy it. It's President Trump's hardcore base. A base that buys these products and then shares their name, address, and their phone number. The president's re-election campaign can use this data and cross-reference it with Facebook data so they can then learn not just who this hardcore base is, but who their friends, family, and community they are have. This is all-important commercial data, massively valuable, massively expensive, and they're getting it for free. I want to bring in uh, two important people on this subject, Sarah Fisher, media reporter at Axios, and Congressman Israel back with me. Sarah... Digital strategy and data collection is something that the Trump campaign dominated in 2016. Are we making a huge mistake when we laugh about some of the more ridiculous things they sell on their website? Because at the end of the day, that is how the president figures out exactly who loves him in the way, as he puts it, people who would support him even if he shot someone on Fifth Avenue. I think that's exactly right. I would not laugh off these efforts. At the end of the day, it's the more gimmicky the product that is probably more effective. People are following Trump, especially as you noted, his very adamant base, and they want to just get on board with whatever the latest craze or saying is that he gives off at a speech or a rally. So the crazier it is, even if it's a Sharpie pen that was used to draw on a fake boundary and a map, the more likely it probably is to sell. And as you note in that piece with Monica Alba, that merchandise is not just going to be able to bring in money for the Trump campaign, although, of course, it does that, but it gives you valuable data, credit card data, data about your address, your friends that can be linked to Facebook, as you mentioned, that the campaign will use over and over again until the end of the election cycle to target you. Congressman, you raised money for the Democratic Party for years. You know, despite the amount of money Hillary Clinton had, President Trump romped all over her in terms of a digital campaign. Are we seeing that all over again here? Well, look, he did romp all over her in terms of a digital campaign. He also went to Kenosha County, Wisconsin, and he went to Erie County, Luzerne County, Pennsylvania. Okay, then let's go but, to the president. But let's talk about the digital. Um, you, that piece just pulled the curtain on the importance of, of digital strategies in campaign committees and elections. When I chaired the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, data was gold. It was like and a precious gem and expensive. And we would mine that data as if we were mining for gold. Why? As you said, every little bit of data means more data. So it's, as you said, the home address. It's an email address. Uh, it's a phone number, a cell phone number. It's also um, who you're talking to. It's volunteer recruitment. So you, you have that data. You can use it for a voter turnout strategy to remind people go out and vote. You can use it for a persuasion strategy. We know that you bought a Trump hat. We also know that you have a, fake, a Facebook friend. We want you to talk to that Facebook friend and make sure they're going to vote for the president and you recruit volunteers. But and is, you can sell that data if you want. But this is more, Sarah, than just buying a MAGA hat. According to a source we spoke to on this story, this type of merchandise is sold to people who believe that we are all fake news, who would be happy to take any sort of, of fake news conspiracy theory and spread it amongst their friends and family. Family. How important is that for the Trump campaign? Because this merchandise is a lot more than a Make America Great Again hat. 
totally. It's about driving intent at the same time. Look, a big part of the Trump campaign strategy is going to ensure that his core base comes out again next year. And amid headlines and news cycles with impeachment, what the Trump campaign needs to drive home is a feeling, an emotion, a sense of belonging into an exclusive club behind a person that they really care about. And every piece of merchandise helps them do that. It helps reinforce the narrative that the president's trying to set right now, that the Bidens are doing something wrong. It helps to reinforce the narrative that the president of the United States is the one who can determine whether or not a hurricane path is moving to our state or not, even though we obviously have uh, FEMA to acknowledge that. This is part of a more emotional campaign, as you know, to get people rallied up ahead of the election. It's so much bigger than just products being sold. What on earth do Democrats do on the other side, Congressman? Well, look, I'm not sure that there's merchandise that the Democrats can sell, although I've seen my fair share of it. I love this bumper sticker, any functioning adult in 2020. That's making the rounds. Um, but look, it, it's clear that the Democrats have to get on game in terms of their digital strategy for persuasion, for turnout. Uh, I actually think they're doing it. Um, the important thing is, where are they doing it? How are they doing it? How do you compete with Donald Trump, who is just filling all the oxygen in the digital world? Well, they got a challenge out there. Mm -hmm. So before you laugh at the next hoax us pocus T-shirt from the president, realize what it's actually doing for him. Thank you both so much. Definitely made us. So Donald Trump Jr., speaking of <laughs> subtle, and his girlfriend, Kimberly Guilfoyle, used their Halloween costumes to echo his dad's favorite catchphrase. They went as a witch hunt. Clever or... I found it pretty clever. I, I, I will admit, I laughed when I saw the costume. I think he has a, like a real bow and arrow in his hands. Because he's boy. a real hunter. He likes to kill animals. Yeah. Why like, would you brag about something like that? Yeah. What, killing animals? He kills yeah. animals. Well, what what do you think, What do I think? I don't know. Maybe he should have worn a prison suit. <laughs> <laughs> well, the guy, let me just say. Orange is the new black. I know. <laughs> For the whole administration, right? You know, we will have to, an opportunity to ask them about this next week because, drumroll, Don Jr. and Kimberly Guilfoyle, his girlfriend, will be here live Thursday on our 5,000th show yeah. next week. 5,000 shows. <laughs> everyone looks so shocked. <laughs> Why? Um, we have everyone here. We have everyone here, but we they're do. coming on. He's got a book. I think you should wear that shirt. <laughs> that says that the Republican Party thinks that their constituents are stupid because it says nothing. It says nothing. And those are all paid actors, just like the ones who go to his rally. If he gets away with this, who's to say that he can't get away with anything? I mean, he'll go into your taxes if you disagree with him. The next president can break all the laws. Americans need to understand what's at stake here. It's not just your pocketbook and, no. you know, when they get whatever is he said they're oh, getting. Tax we have a U.S. national security official who is advising Ukraine while working inside the White House, apparently against the president's interest, and usually they spoke in English. Isn't that kind of an interesting angle on this story? I find that astounding, and you know, some people might call that espionage. Except those people aren't chicken shit like the three of you, and they know that he passed a background check that the president's daughter and son-in-law didn't. Did Joining you our say what I, think you said? <laughs> I don't know. You need more? Because I got more. Here's an impeachment. Literally somebody on MSC cheering about it. ABC making the ABCs of impeachment. 
and the perfect soundbite to prove what I've been saying for months, if not three or four years. The media is pushing the left. People on CNN literally saying, you're living in a bubble if you don't believe in the impeachment. I think this speaks to this larger discussion we've been having today, which is what I wanted to say. I may be in the minority here. I'm not somber today. I'm thrilled. I am thrilled. Oh, my gosh. Democracy is vaguely working for once. You have people who are taking the responsibility and oversight seriously for once. I am so glad this happened. As someone who doubted and questioned Nancy Pelosi and what she was doing all along, it appears as though now she's taking responsibility fully. And it's what Steve said before. Whatever Republicans are thinking and when they have to go to bed at night, when they go home and talk to their constituents, I hope they realize that historically speaking, 50 years from now, when when our kids and everything else like that are reading about this, they want to be the person who is on the right side of history. They want to be the person who was part of that gang of five of eight or ten people who said, you know what, whether or not this guy stays in office or not, I stood up and said that this behavior is inappropriate. And I think there is a chance of it just for this reason only. It's one thing to try and get people to be angry about something that already happened, which is 2016. But this is about 2020. Mm-hmm. We, we've already heard reports that the president is already trying to muscle people, basically bribe members of the Senate and say, I will squeeze your money off if you don't vote to keep me in office in 2020. And I think people worried about their future might be inclined to make different decisions. It's so amazing that, that we don't have people in Congress who can model behavior that we'd want a child being bullied to model. This is the first day of the rest of President Trump's life. Mm-hmm. With this vote... I think it's almost a certainty that he becomes the third American president to be impeached. Um, and when that happens, if that happens, um, look, I'm, I'm a reporter. Uh, I think about how the first line of his obit forever is going to read that he was impeached. As NBC News confirms that House Democrats are taking a closer look at the ABCs of impeachment to make their case against President Trump. And if you don't know about the ABCs of impeachment, here they are. A. Abuse of power, B, betrayal, C, corruption. Joining us now on Capitol Hill, uh, the reporter who broke this really important piece definitely helps you understand it a whole lot more, our friend Heidi Prisbola. Tell it, walk us through these ABCs. These are the ABCs. A, abuse of power. That would be relative to the president's attempts to use his office, to abuse his office for his own personal gain in order to gain this dirt on the Bidens. B is for betrayal, betrayal of the country um, and betrayal of our national security interests in terms of pushing an ally into a very precarious situation with Ukraine and not letting them fully defend themselves if we're going to with hold aid. And C is for corruption. And that is corrupting our electoral process by encouraging openly, including on camera, in front of all of us, foreign powers to get involved and meddle in our election process. Really brings to the fore what, what you what you and our panelists are speaking about. The tension here that we're seeing today as the House passes resolution between the facts that move the Democrats and have concerned so many Americans, uh, according to some polls, a majority now backing impeachment even before public hearings, and the unity of President Trump's defense in the Republican caucus. For that, I want to bring back in uh, Heidi Prisbola. Uh, you do a back-of-the-envelope uh, calculation, Heidi, and one of the things we see today is no Republicans who are still members of the party, there's one who left the party over this, as mentioned earlier, an independent, Mr. Amash, but no current members of the House Republican caucus crossing over. By contrast... While Democrats, uh, in a, you could say a different era, though also a divided one, Democrats widely and strongly objected to the nature of the attacks and investigation into President Clinton and their view of whether those were impeachable offenses, however objectionable the conduct was. 
31 Democrats at least back the actual initial probe. Um, what does it tell you that even as these facts mount and the public moves, the House Republican Caucus, according to Mr. Amash, to use his word, is living in its own partisan bubble for now? I can tell you, Ari, based on my own reporting, which includes meeting with a number of these moderate Republicans, that they are deeply troubled by the president's behavior. But they viewed this vote today as largely a procedural vote and that many of their objections, just like the leadership has been voicing, have been along these process lines. So to Garrett's point about his very good reporting, many of these Republicans felt like if they are going to dissent, this is not the vote that they are going to dissent on. So I think we really need to keep that in mind as we look at these vote totals and that this is not comparable to previous initial votes on impeachment in that sense. I also want to correct for the record, Ari, since this is a moment for history, and fact check some of the things that Leader McCarthy said about this being undemocratic because this vote hasn't taken place until 37 days into the process. Do you know why that is? Number one, this vote is not required under the Constitution. There's nothing in the Constitution that says that they needed to hold um, this vote. And and also, um, the part about this being closed, behind closed doors, it is the Republicans themselves who allowed this to happen because the Republicans changed the rules in the last Congress, in the 116th Congress, to allow the Democrats to go ahead and issue all of these unilateral subpoenas. So they didn't have to hold a vote because they already had all of the subpoena authority. Now they did have to hold the vote because they had to set out the rules of the road. They had to change that 45-minute questioning rule, for example. And so that is why you're seeing this vote today. And just one last note, it was Trey Gowdy himself, the head of the Oversight Committee, who said that for the initial phase, the only way to actually get truth is to do it behind closed doors when you're in the fact-finding mm. part of the investigation. Uh Everything we get in our media is from a bubble. It's the left bubble. It's not the real bubble. It's not what real people think. Oh, sorry. Ringtone just went off. I also fixed the fire alarm. Sorry. Yeah. I, I forgot to change the battery with fallback, you know, standard time. So after we did our first segment, I, I listened to parts of the last podcast. I heard beep, 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 beep. I'm like, oh, shit, I got to fix that. So it's fixed now going forward. And then lastly, I want us to go back memory lane, really, before we go on to um, our hate tweets and close out the show. If we're going through 2016, we remember that Hillary stole the convention. We already knew that. CNN this week, the poll on the right actually found Sanders in first. It's even CNN's poll. They dropped him second anyway, and there's this whole thing is the proof. Bernie Sanders is at 22, Elizabeth Warren is at 18, and as of October, CNN poll, Sanders and Warren fight for home field in New Hampshire, and they literally show Warren 22, Warren 21, Sanders 19, Sanders 18, but when you see their actual poll, that's not what they reported online. So they're already getting their preferred candidate. And then, since we're way backing, here's a, it's a little lengthy, but do you remember Lock Her Up? 
They need. I'm wondering about that in the burbs where we grew up, where you grew up. Philly I was running the edge of the burbs. Are they going to the, the women at the train station? They need. Permission. Are they going to want to hear? Robert Costa reporting. Are they going to like this kind of bombastic attack on the only woman who's ever had a prayer being president? Lock her up. Lock her. Have you ever been? Isn't that over the top? Have you ever been at a convention where they've chanted "lock that person up" about the opponent? Wow. This is really taking the level. Yeah, they have I've never been to a convention. I've never been to a convention in Caracas or Buenos Aires. I'm sure I've heard it down there. Anyway, Robert Costa, Michael Steele, and David Corn. Thank you. It is very Latin American. This is You're wild crazy. stuff. My opponent, too. A lot of countries, they put away the guy who, how about, what is it, Benazir Bhutto? He loses an election. They hang him. You don't want somebody around you who's too horny for ambition. Not somebody's thinking, I can't wait to get this person out of it because Hillary's going to be in her 70s. I can't wait to move this on and I get to be president faster. Right. You want somebody who's accepted the fact, like Cheney and, and perhaps Biden, at least he did for a lot of the okay. that he was going to stick around as VP. But that's it. That was the limit of a person's okay. ambition. What they were saying, in case people couldn't hear it, was lock her up, lock her up. Is this the most vitriolic, vehement convention that you can remember? It was pretty angry out there uh, and pretty ugly, you know. I mean, it's, some of that was spontaneous. It's not as if uh, uh, Chris Christie was calling for that, but he did nothing to silence it. But people leapt to their feet. I remember at one point the California delegation, and they're shaking their fists in unison at the podium saying, lock her up. I was waiting for some kind of... Uh, steering of the conversation or steering of the energy by Chris Christie to say, we're not trying to lock her up. We need to just vote her out. That This is a political fight. This isn't some, you know, he didn't uh, enunciate one legal uh, violation that she was even alleged to have committed. He was just saying she's done some things that we think didn't work. She's pursued some policies that we think are dangerous for the country. That's a valid conversation. The fact that a lot of people interpret that as she belongs in prison they're doing her a favor in a way by blaming her for everything that has ever happened that is negative they're making a classic blunder to paraphrase the princess bride one of the classic blunders in deal with the clinton is taking it too far i had somebody last night turn me around and say why do you say she didn't send classified information i said knowingly i'm using shorthand she would have been indicted had she knowingly sent classified information to an uncleared person. That triggers the intent portion of the statute. So obviously she didn't. I'm telling you to a person, they look at you and say, yes, she did. Now what you expose yourself to, Errol, isn't it? He's going to say it at some point, and she's going to say, no, I didn't. And he's going to be wrong, and then you wind up playing advantage too far. Well, that's right. I mean, here's what, what happens in the world of uh, conservative media, conservative talk radio in particular, in the world of this convention, frankly, there's a sort of a factual base that's laid, and it doesn't have anything to do with what happened in the real world, but through reputation, uh, through repetition over and over and over again, you get people doing something, and, and that's actually where the Melania Trump uh, issue gets to be really interesting, because they are playing out on a much larger stage what goes on all the time in conservative circles which is they decided this wasn't plagiarism and this was somehow hillary clinton's fault as a matter of yes as a matter that of got fact. blamed on her also and, and she wrote it, it and, 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 and that's it and you we can all look at the video and they say you don't see what you're looking at you're you know you're seeing it wrong what this really means is that hillary clinton somehow went back in time and made you know michelle obama do this um, <laughs> and the sex you got to call it the sexism i mean manafort saying that any woman who gets too close to Hillary, she's going to destroy as a, as a deflection point, was, uh, I think, over the top. Yeah, a great validator. I, it just, 
team. Uh, and it's really an extension of the candidate, of the nominee. Uh, I mean, here's a guy whose whole campaign started with Mexicans are rapists and drug dealers and each of you what you feel about the, the tone, the language, lock her up, lock her up, she's a criminal, throw her in jail, and some language that was even worse. Ruth? Um, I'm an opinion writer, so I'm allowed to use words like this, appalling and scary. Uh, I thought that the, it's not, it, the, the venom, I mean, it is fine for one party to believe not just that their own candidate is better, but that the other party's candidate is really, truly bad, but I've never heard, and you've probably never heard a, can, uh, a convention with this much venom and the sort of mob-like atmosphere of the locker-up chant. We don't lock up political opponents of the United States. We vote against them. Uh, and Clinton has been more the subject of this convention than Donald Trump has thus far. Uh, I want to show you a little something that we um, shot earlier today. I will tell you that some of our viewers, um, you're not going to find this offensive. You may find it uncomfortable. Um, and so you may not want to uh, look at this stuff. But these are some of the pins that are being sold at the venue, at the RNC venue um, in in Cleveland. And, you know, you always, at conventions, you always get sharp-edged stuff, particularly the merchandisers tend to compete with each other to, to see what they can produce that will one-up one another. Um, but from the calling uh, Hillary Clinton a bitch to the KFC special referring to her breasts and thighs and her left wing and um, all of those other things, that's part of the merchandise of the RNC. We've also seen pre-printed signs saying Hillary Clinton for prison. Um, we've seen calls from the stage that she ought to be uh, in stripes, that she ought to be locked up. That's been a chant um, throughout the convention proceedings thus far. We expect to see more of this tonight, but here's a little taste of what's, what it's been like, that part of this convention over the last... The night was heavy on harsh rhetoric, much of it directed at Hillary Clinton. Prosecuting the case, New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. The charge of putting herself ahead of America, guilty or not guilty. Delegates repeatedly calling for Clinton to be thrown in jail. And it brought out a lot of the anger that we've been talking out about over the course of this campaign that is in the electorate. We heard it in their chance of lock her up and guilty. Does that anger work at an event like this? A lot of Republicans, even Trump supporters, didn't like the chant. They thought that maybe went a little too far. Or does it go too far? Does it overestimate how much people don't care for Hillary Clinton? The chanting was bad, but I think it will be canceled out next week by some equally uncomfortable moment for Well. Over the last couple weeks, we've had Bernie Sanders. We've had other events. And this is the new chant of the left. This is now, once again, I don't get buttered over that shit. I can give a fuck about either one of these. 
But once we're talking about uh, objective First Amendment defending media that is just reporting the facts, so say Brian Seltzer, yet you're not apoplectic because people are saying lock the President of the United States up. Under Obama, those things would have made you go into specials. America, racist. If it was Hillary, America, sexist. You did. You heard those sound bites. I mean, they're so all in right now. Newsweek, President Pence, and it was tweeted by Christy Swanson, who I follow because she's a hottie motati. Buddy of mine just sent me this pic. I'm like, what? Seriously? And what is that line underneath Pence? What's that supposed to mean? Underneath, on the cover of a magazine in America, President Pence, or could it be President Pelosi? They are so into the double impeachment. Getting rid of Trump, getting rid of Pence. This is our media. It is outright hate and contempt for anybody that doesn't think like them, and specifically anything east of the Oregon-California-Washington border and all them bullshits on the East Coast. You shouldn't have a vote. You shouldn't have electoral votes. You should just shut your fucking mouth, learn the 7,000 pronouns, and do what we think, say, and espouse. And that's fucked up. To a music break, we're going to close this biatch out with Hey Tweets and our Tweet of the Day. bubble one podcast at a time here's tony reed come fly with me let's fly let's fly away if you can use some exotic booze there's a bar in far bombay come on and fly with me let's fly let's fly away We start with Jack, who runs Twitter. 
We made the decision to stop all political advertising on Twitter globally. We believe political messaging should be earned, not bought. Why? A few reasons. A political message earns reach when people decide to follow an account or retweet. Paying for reach removes that decision, forcing highly optimized and targeted political messages on people. We believe this decision should not be compromised by money. While Internet advertising is incredibly powerful and very effective for commercial advertisers, the power brings significant rents to politics where it can be used to influence votes to affect the lives of millions. These challenges, I'm a abbreviating, will affect all Internet communities, not just political ads. Best to focus our efforts on the root problem without the additional burden and complexities taking money brings. Trying to fix both means fixing neither. For instance, it's not credible for us to say we're working hard to stop people from gaming our system to spread misleading info, but if someone pays us to target and force people to see their political ad, well, then we can say whatever they want. We consider stopping only candidate ads, but issued ad presents a way to circumvent. Additionally, it's fair for everyone but candidates to buy ads for issues that they want to push. We're well aware we're a small part of a much larger political advertising ecosystem. Some might argue actions today could favor incumbents, but we also witness many social movements reach massive scale without any political advertising. In addition, we need more forward-looking political and regulations very difficult to do. Add transparency requirement of progress, but not blah, blah, blah. It's worth stepping back in order to address. The reason why does the left need it with Twitter? Twitter moments are all anti-conservative. Twitter moments are all pro-Democrats. Democrats don't need to put ads on Twitter. Twitter is one big ad for them. Instantly, they got pushback. Left fears Twitter ad ban will remove climate change ads. Do you really believe that? That's how fucking absurdly fucking fascist the far left is. They pushed Greta Thunberg. They pushed, pushed every one of those little shits at Stone Hill. After the shooting and my feed, I didn't even fucking, I didn't follow them. They pushed them the fuck in. Whether you wanted them or not, you got their bullshit. And if you look at your stuff in your Twitter feed, you only get what they want you to hear. Twitter moments are never pro-conservative. They're never pro-candidate. When Rand Paul got almost killed, that was not a Twitter moment. Let a motherfucker nick by accident elbow a Democrat. It's a Twitter moment. They even blocked Daily Mail stories about Katie Hill's sex scandal. Said it was inappropriate. And then the mainstream media, well, they brought on Melissa Milano. Obviously, the Me Too movement, very important to you, very important in our country. Uh, Congresswoman uh, Katie Hill decided to resign uh, once there was an ethics investigation announced into her alleged uh, inappropriate or whatever you want to call it relationship with a staffer. She denied that it was a congressional staffer. Was the resignation the right move and what does it mean for the Me Too movement? I don't feel it was the right move. I feel that there is incredible hypocrisy that goes on. And if Katie Hill were a man who was in a consensual relationship with a uh, another man and a woman, that this would be a very different outcome. I mean, we, there's indicted uh, criminals in in Congress on the Republican side, people like Duncan Hunter, who still have a seat, and yet we have... Uh, accepted a resignation from a really, really good congresswoman, a really bright woman, for what she does in her private time that was consensual. Um, so I, I don't feel it, it was uh, fair 
and um, I really, I really appreciate Katie Hill and and where she was coming from in resigning. But I do wish that she would have fought a little harder. I would have fought by her side. Hmm. So there you got that started, Guardian. Katie Hill's resignation is a travesty. That's not what justice looks like. Katie Hill is the first millennial lawmaker to resign because of nude. She won't be the last time. MSDNC, this is a form of technological domestic violence in some ways. Uh, next one, all in with Chris Hayes. On the implications of Katie Hill's resignation, there's going to be a generation of politicians where there are thousands of images around going to have to decide on society if we're going to let that become blackmail. USA Today, former representative Katie Hill defenders say it wouldn't have led to affairs that brought her down. It was revenge porn. Jessica Valentine, Hill was a victim of a crime, but she's the only person being punishment. The Independent, opinion, Katie Hill wasn't held accountable for her actions. She was thrown on a pyre for the benefit of men. New York Times weeps for dem victims of revenge porn. Sexist double standard the specifics of her story are complicated allegations that miss hill and her husband kenny hensley were involved in three relationship female campaign that's not the truth her husband had been a contentious divorce proceeding has also charged miss hill of an affair with the legislative director the house ethics committee soon opened an investigation in hill making young woman the first representative being investigated that led her supporters to argue that miss hill is not a perpetrator but revenge porn and that's all a lie you don't dick dance when it's a conservative Trent Locke got the boot for less. She was banging two of her aides. That is the death of fucking nation of Me Too. She is in power. See, here's the game. It's either women don't get the respect or the power in politics. We must treat women equal or there is no gender. That's their fucking dick dance game. She was in power. So she gets the benefits of being in power. You fuck somebody who's your subordinate? You're fucked. I mean, a big one just got shit canned for it. I didn't keep it. I don't remember what it was. Um... But a bigwig just did it. Got shit can. Fucking his subordinate. Media didn't play a big deal out of that. Jesus fucking Christ. And, and here you go. This is their game. We gotta have equality. Blah, blah, blah. Here's Maisie Arano coming in hot with possibly the dumbest gotcha I've ever heard. He testified that you look at the Constitution, what it meant in the Constitution at the time when it took effect with enactment, ratification, whatever. This was back in 1789 when blacks couldn't vote and women couldn't vote. So if the Constitution had not been amended to let women and blacks vote, would you interpret the Constitution of now let, not allowing these people to vote? See the game? It's the game. You want to be in power and you ask stupid shit like that. The most women ever in power... This is the bullshit we get. Ilian Omar is morally outraged that Walmart CEO makes a lot more money than cashiers. Really? Really? Are you fucking serious? And once again, for new people, hate tweets is the round robin of dumb fucking shit that the media usually does. And we'll start our climate section right now. Here's the media. If it wasn't bad enough with fucking wildfires are caused by climate change, here's a fucking dim 
governor, there were no tornadoes before climate change, and not one swinging dick called them on it. Rising seas could affect way many more people than they previously thought. So I was just thinking, it's 2019. This is an estimate for 2050, which is only 30 years from now. It shows that 150 million people are now living on land that will be below high tide by 2050. Really? Think about Miami, think about New Orleans, think about areas that are right on the coast. And people love to live by water. Yeah, well, 60% of our population in this country live along the coast. Right. Yeah, oh, yeah. But look at Vietnam. I mean, that's 20 million people who, Mm -hmm. who, who could. Uh, theoretically be displaced. Department of Defense said that climate change is probably the number one threat to homeland security. A stunning new report shows many major coastal cities around the world could be underwater by 2050 in our lifetime. Scientists from Climate Central say that means 300 million people would be waterlogged in just 30 years. The original projections were already frightening. Now we have these new projections even more concerning. First question, why the change? Well, first of all, thank you for having me here to talk about this very important subject. And this is a nice piece of the puzzle in understanding more about how climate change is really affecting the people, places, and things that we love. If people are displaced, that creates conflicts, that creates wars for resources. U.S. military involvement could follow. So now that you've scared the bejesus out of us, (laughs) can you explain simply what, why is it happening and what we can do? So my goal is not to scare you, it's to inform you. Guys, Junae is here uh, with the latest on uh, Greta Thunberg. Am that I pronouncing right, that correctly? Yeah. She mm-hmm. she had a big uh, celebrity encounter. Right. I mean, some might call this like a dream team of environmental activists. Oscar winner Leonardo DiCaprio is calling Swedish teen activist Greta Thunberg a leader of our time, and he says the two of them have made a commitment to support one another. He posted a photo of him with Thunberg, look at this, on Friday, as the two met during her tour of North America. DiCaprio has been outspoken, of course, about climate change, but he's also been criticized for his use of private jets. Thunberg, in the meantime, is asking for help in finding an emissions-free way to get to the U.N.'s climate change meeting in December that was supposed to take place in Chile but has now been moved to Spain. The teen saying she traveled half around the world the wrong way. So really cool to see the two of them teaming up. Yeah, it's a conundrum, though, if you want to be an activist as she is and travel all over the place. Right. How do you get there? Exactly. Without emitting carbon. And leader for our time. Leonardo DiCaprio meets young climate activist Greta Thunberg in a photo that's already been liked nearly four million times. His impassioned plea for the future of the world. Leonardo DiCaprio, it's safe to assume people are usually pretty starstruck over the Academy Award winner. Well, the actor and activist had the tables turned on him this week when he met Swedish climate crusader Greta Thunberg in a passionate Instagram post, which has been liked nearly four million times. Leo praised the teen activist, calling her the leader of our time. As for their meeting, the actor says it was an honor to spend time with Greta. She and I have made a commitment to support one another in hopes of securing a brighter future for our planet. He also said he hopes Greta's message is a wake-up call to world leaders everywhere. I mean, how cool, like, for him, but also for her. I mean, for Leo to just rally behind Just her profile has raised so rapidly. She really is the face for so many people on this planet about this crisis. She's so important, sweet voice. We actually witnessed, and we're showing some video of it, uh, a baby and a family being rescued while you were assessing the damage. Can you give us an update on the flooding situation and what you saw? You know, Ali, anyone who questions uh, extreme weather and and climate change is just delusional at this point. 
Uh, we have seen in the state of New York what everyone is seeing. We see these uh, weather patterns that we never had before. We didn't have hurricanes. We didn't have super storms. We didn't have tornadoes. But this, this is a recurring pattern. And anyone who uh, is still in denial is making a very serious mistake. All right, Governor, good to talk to you as always. Thank you for... You know, one of the biggest purveyors is one of my favorite channels, well, uh, the Weather Channel, actually has this days in histories. And there were fucking hella tornadoes, hella hurricanes, and a lot of people getting killed back in the day. I, I just want to throw that out there. But th- they're stupid. They're so caught up, you can't get enough of the crazy. You got articles like this. Sorry, my mic dropped. CNN complains asthma sufferers could use greener inhalers. Really? Having trouble breathing? Yeah, well, at least there will be less CO2 in the atmosphere, which reminds CNN to go after asthma sufferers who use meter-dose inhalers. Indeed, people who suffer from asthma could sharply reduce their carbon footprint by swapping to a greener alternative, chimed CNN in a report Wednesday. By swapping meter-dose inhalers for dry powder inhalers, CNN explained, users could reduce their carbon emission equivalent to reducing the meat consumption or recycling, researchers said. Yeah, when I'm having an asthma attack, I'm sure that's the first fucking thing I think of. Then you got the New York Times. Why people should care about, people who care about climate change should also care about clothes. The clothing and footwear industry is responsible for 8% of global greenhouse gas emissions, nearly the same as the entire European Union, by the environmental services group Qantas. Without abrupt intervention, the industry impact on the climate is on track to increase by almost half by 2030. But clothing does not appear to be mentioned in the Democratic candidate's climate pants, nor in the Green New Deal. So now you're saying we need to go fucking naked. Everybody go fucking naked Time now. Oh, really? Really? Greta Thunberg rejects climate award, rips countries that gave it to her. Listen to this jackass. Her cli- uh, The teen climate change activist who dominated headlines last month after a speech in UN declared that we are in the beginning of a mass extinction was offered an award this week from the Nordic Council for breathing new life in the debate surrounding the environment and climate at a critical moment in world history. But on Tuesday, the 16-year-old told the council they could keep their climate prize and issued an ultimatum. She will not accept an award from them until they move on from bragging and using beautiful words to acting in accordance with the science says it needs. To combat global warming, Thunberg issued her official rejection of the award and rebuke. The council has since confirmed that she indeed turned down the money. I received the Nordic Council Environmental Award for 2019. I've decided to climb this prize, wrote Thunberg, noting that she's traveling through California and thus unable to deliver a message in person. I want to thank the council for this award. It's a huge honor. But the climate movement does not eat any more awards. What we need is our politicians and people in power start to listen to the current best available silence. And she goes on and on and on and says, fuck you, you're not good enough. Not good enough. Enough. What a fucking piece of shit. Which brings us to our tweet of the day, which usually for new people is just a tweet. But this is just like the subject. A movement. Beto 
fell out of the race. The actual evidence that Donald Trump's a racist. Uh, besides, let let me finish. This, let, let, let's let him finish. Let's let him finish. This, Despite not having any real evidence that he's a racist, all right, under the Trump administration, black unemployment is the lowest it's ever been. Hispanic unemployment is the lowest it's ever been. The, it's okay. The, we we got to let him talk, folks. we got to let him talk. The Please. black uh, medium uh, income for the black communities is on a rise. Um, that's not true. But So do you, do you have any actual evidence that Trump is a racist or – and and what 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 more are you going to do for the minority communities than Trump has already done and his administration's already done? Th- thank you so much for for being here. Um, so you're asking for for actual evidence, and, and I've talked about his repeated warnings of invasions, of, of dehumanizing or attempting to dehumanize people by calling them animals. Those are words he's used: predators. Killers. Uh, somebody mentioned uh, shithole countries, which was his description of, of nations in Africa, or, or wanting to have uh, more immigrants from Sweden and, and Norway, which which he has also said. Or how about this? Four women of color, duly elected by their constituents, he told them to go back to their country when this is their country. Um, his his uh, his attack on Elijah Cummings. Um, he, he was, somebody just reminded me, he was one of the original birthers ab- about Obama questioning his fitness to serve as president because he questioned whether he was born here, joining others who questioned whether President Obama was a Christian or a Muslim or was part of some plot to undermine or attack this country. So much of Make America Great Again is reflected of this underlying racism that Donald Trump has been perfectly open about. Klansmen, neo-Nazis, white supremacists who marched in the streets of Charlottesville and said, Jews, you will not replace them. President Trump said they're very fine people. Um, I'm here to hijack this town and to try and make an issue out of getting guns out of good people's hands that can make a difference. And you know that, Beto. Okay, we have something for her. No, this is bullshit. It's here about mental health and it's about more on boys and masculinity. You're bullshit by being here. Shame on you, Beto. Why don't you debate me? Why don't you debate me? Go ahead. Answer my question. Answer my question, That's a kid and a woman from fucking Newton literally dogging Beto over his guns. And I think that pretty much sums his bullshit up. As I wear my I will not comply shirt all over town today. Got a bunch of compliments this time. PA judge strikes down gun control ordinance implemented after Synagon massacre. 
On Tuesday, Pennsylvania judged the three gun ordinance, and these ordinances were fucking seriously over the top, and he said they're unconstitutional. So that's pretty much fucking fantastic. And Cam Edwards literally sums it all up with all the lies the media do on guns. With about six weeks left before a government deadline, less than 20% of the estimated number of banned firearms have been handed over in New Zealand. Remember, it was perfect. They just made a law, and all the guns just disappeared. Just fucking like holograms, man. They just went away. A modest but tangible success? I think it's more like a complete failure. Let's say when the deadline passes, less than one-third of the banned firearms have been turned in. What exactly has been accomplished other than the compensated confiscation of a few thousand firearms and the criminalization of tens of thousands of otherwise law-abiding citizens? Yeah. That's basically what it's coming up with. Simultaneously, a woman who was pregnant defended herself with an AR this week. And this is how CNN wrote it up. A Florida man said two armed men invaded his home and were beating him with when his wife, eight months pregnant, saved the day by shooting one of the intruders with an automatic rifle. It was an AR. It was a fucking AR. And I was surprised they even covered it because not a lot of people covered it. They just didn't cover it because it goes against what they say. ARs, you don't need an AR to defend your house. It was a woman, a pregnant woman, defending herself. So she's double fucked up. A, she knows how to use a gun, and B, she's pregnant. You're not supposed to be producing. What the fuck are you doing reproducing? But to Beto. Born to lose is the article I picked. Beto O'Rourke brutally mocked over failed campaign. Our campaign has always been about seeing clearly, speaking honestly, and acting decisively. In that spirit, I'm announcing that my service to the country will not be as a candidate or as a nominee. Though it's difficult to accept, it's clear to me now that this campaign does not have the means to move forward successfully, because I don't even get a percent. O'Rourke ran a campaign that targeted constitutionally protected rights of American citizens, including confiscating firearms and punishing religious organizations for their beliefs. Upon his announcement as he dropped out of the race, O'Rourke was mocked online by nearly everyone outside the hardcore faction of the Democratic Party. The NRA mocked him. Beto O'Rourke has dropped out of the 2020 presidential race. That makes it two failed campaigns in one year. Let this be a lesson. Running on destroying the Second Amendment and stripping Americans of their firearms is never a good idea. Bito. <laughs> James O'Keefe. Before Oroke arrival, some volunteers began pulling lawn signs out of the ground. When a CBS News team converged to document this, a campaign staffer approached and asked that we stop and be respectful because the volunteers are in a very vulnerable place right now. So we're supposed to be nice to them. But that's our tweet of the day. Because the NRA, who I am a member of, sum it up. I think this is going to happen to a lot of Democrats. And if Warren and Sanders keep down their road, you're going to elect 2020 Trump. You cannot be this extreme. America is not the West and East Coast. America is very diverse. And if you really dig into the inlays of your own followers, the freak far, far left and the freak far, far right make up very little, very little, folks, of the electorate. It's just not where 
we're at. Us flyover people are our better gauge. Because in flyover country, thus the name of the show, flyover politic, you got everybody. Every race, every gender, there's more gay people in the South. And they probably own guns, too. So, I'm going to go to a lighter fare. I was going to play one from Harris, which is kind of funny, but I'm going to save it for next show, where she basically states that the Democratic electorate's a bunch of fucking sexist racists. That's pretty much how it sounded. But I've been taping all sorts of different shows, because, you know, I got the dish. We talked about it. And I went back to season one of Last Man Standing, and i got to admit, I... Part of my doing my podcast came from the vlog that Mike Bastard did on the show, which, of course, is Tim Allen. And I heard this and laughed my ass off this morning. So it's our lighter fare. It is the character Mike Baxter doing a vlog, episode one, season one of Last Man Standing. Hi, Mike Baxter here, asking the question that men have been asking since medieval times. Gosh darn it, where can I get a crossbow online? <laughs> this is the new Excalibur Super Saber series. Composite handle. So when you're hunting, when you're hunting. God. Who am I kidding? If you're watching this, you don't hunt. You're probably hunting for a tissue right about now, aren't you? <laughs> some girl at a soccer game where nobody can lose sprained your ankle. There's a guy named Jack Youngblood playing the Super Bowl with a broken leg. That's not fantasy. What the heck is fantasy football? I got a fantasy. Why don't you get off the frickin' couch, you morons? <laughs> what happened to men? Men used to build cities just so we could burn them down. I got a haircut by a guy named Hank. But modern man, what do you do? You run from stuff. Responsibility, fatherhood. You can't even change a tire. A tire! Why don't you get off the couch, you moron, and go outside? You'll see something bright. It's called the sun. It's like a tanning bed, but it's free. And then before we go into This is America, Sean in Oregon sent us an article. He sent me three. I had two of them. This is his third, and I was just going to highlight it here because I didn't know where to fit it in. Saturday Night Live star Michael Che accuses sexist and ageist comments on Weekend Update. Michael Che is sparking backlash for a second week in a row on his controversial comments he made during the show's Weekend Update. Che, who co-hosts Weekend Update with Colin Joe, saw a slew of upset viewers take to Twitter to accuse him of sexist and ageist comments about making a joke about a 67-year-old woman giving birth to a child. Che told the story and delivered an off-color punchline, noting that she set a record for most friction, which elicited a smattering of laughs and groans from the crowd. So you guys don't realize this, but the joke took me like four hours to write, he said. I had much better punchlines, but the fellows at NBC Standards said they were all too dirty. Like, as at first I was going to say, well, I hope that kid likes his milk chalky, but they said, you can't say that on TV. It was my second favorite punchline. My my first favorite being, she can breastfeed just by standing over the crib. That's a good one, right? Nope. NBC said, too gross, which is ridiculous. Too gross would be like if I said doctors describe the birth as pulling a penny out of a wad of gum. Now, that would be too gross, he concluded. Even I wouldn't tell a joke like that on TV. Viewers are quick to take to Twitter to let NBC and Chase know of their outrage. JBC, 
Hey, NBC, SNL, Michael Che's sexist punchlines were offensive and degrading. Punching down on women is not good comedy, and Michael Che is just showing us his name for them. He shouldn't be on your broadcast. Another one. Not cool, dude. You need to check yourself and get off the race card and the misogynistic comments. What happened to SNL? Another one. Please cut Michael Che because he's not funny. The fact that he's a bitter, rude man whose target audience is frat boys isn't the point. He's not funny. Uh... Chase comments come just one week after fans were upset that he misgendered Caitlyn Jenner for a punchline on last week's show. Real Housewife of San Francisco, dear NBC SNL, time to dump misogynistic, transphobic Che because last week's joke about Caitlyn Jenner and this week's let's make fun of older women's vagina is hard to understand why SNL has replaced him and Jost with some new energy, preferably female, which really proves my point. You can never be woke enough. He's a fucking black guy, dude. But <clears throat> the Caitlyn Jenner thing still fucks me up. Just fucking cracks me the fuck up. For those that are new to the show or don't remember, I was on a plane going to San Francisco and I accidentally said Bruce Jenner and that fucking grown man, older than me, lost his shit on me and he wasn't gay. And it just showed the divide between the left coast and everywhere else. I didn't say Bruce Jenner to be disrespectful he was on my fucking Wheaties box, and he had just decided to be a woman one day. It wasn't like it was now. I mean, I can understand if you're all into this shit, and now I said Bruce Jenner, like I'm saying right now, Bruce fucking Jenner, get upset. Jesus Christ. So, This is America is not a soundbite, which is a rare one, because it's supposed to be the last soundbite of the day, but today, it's the last article of the day. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last sound Like the media say when they are pushing fake liberal agenda stories. This is America in 2019. I got the strap. Well, I'm, I might actually get closer to that two and a half hours. Well, okay, I'm over. I tried. This comes from the New York Times, and I remember as a kid, this was really cool for me. I thought it was neat. But as you can tell, um, they hate Sinclair, and Sinclair is a broadcaster that is more right of center. And they're doing this, and they, of course, the gray lady, supposed to be the objective journalism for our country. I mean, the beacon got butthurt after about national anthems. New York Times pretends it's provocative for TV stations returning to national anthem video. David Creighton of Daily Caller noted the New York Times is once again describing the national anthem as a widely divisive song. Many liberals also think God Bless America is controversial when they weren't quoting radicals saying the song was a whitewash of everything wrong in America. Times culture reporter Julia Jacobs reported on Wednesday on the division trend, divisive trend, excuse me, of TV stations returning to broadcast a national anthem video in the wee hours of the night. 
Gray Television, which has 145 stations, mostly in small and mid-sized markets, make it a company-wide practice several months ago. Two other companies followed, CBS and its 27 corporate-owned stations, including those in New York and Los Angeles, and Nexstar Media Group, one of the largest owners of television stations in the country. Within five months, the National Anthem has become a daily part of programming at more than 350 stations across the country. Gray's National Anthem video include a nine-year-old South Florida girl, Renee Osbay, belting the anthem into handheld microphone phone, a uniformed soldier giving a salute, and a young boy with his arms wrapped around a serviceman. Perhaps his father. It's a beauty. Gray and Star executives told the Times the reason is bringing back the anthem was simple, encouraging national unity at a time of deep division in the country, and as Hal put it, bringing back a great tradition of television, Hal added. This is purely non-political statement by our company. Naturally, Jacob goes right to Colin Kaepernick kneeling during the anthem to protest racial injustice by the police so that overt allegiance to the Star-Spangled Banner has become one of the lines that separate blue and red America. The television executives were explicit in saying that playing the national anthem regularly had nothing to do with kneeling controversy. But Hal said, if people want to kneel at 4 o'clock in the morning when we play this, Fine with me. Good for him. Regardless of their intention, Mark Clegg, an associate professor of musicology, <laughs> what the fuck, at the University of Michigan, said that in an area in which support of the anthem has become a loyalty test, it is difficult to frame its re- reintroduction to the airwaves as apolitical. It is somewhat provocative to bring the anthem to the fore in a new way and a moment of tension in the country, he said. Timothy C. Bush, the president of Nextar Broadcasting, told the newspaper that the response from viewers had been overwhelmingly positive and that he was not aware, aware of a single complaint. Jacob tweeted, there was no controversy yet. Broadcasters are bringing back the tradition of playing the national anthem on TV stations daily, typically before dawn. There hasn't been many controversy yet, but at one TV executive put it, maybe they're all in bed. I put it here because this sums up our media. It sums up the left, and it sums up what has happened under Trump. That if you're proud of America... You are part of the KKK, a Nazi, a fucking sexist, racist, xenophobe, homophobe, transphobe. When none of those apply, you just happen to be proud of the country. We have gotten to a point with the left and our media that if you support law enforcement, like I do my neighbor and others like him, you're part of the KKK. As stated on the show, I have black army buddies that are cops. Last time I checked, they, they're fresh out of fucking white hoods, man. They, they really don't get in their car every night and go, let's go get them Negroes. It's bullshit. I mean, where are the shootings? All we've proven is the Ferguson effect on this show. The inverse is true. Now we have more crime because cops can't do shit. We have strapped cams on everybody. They're taking more shit than a septic tank. Watch Live PD. you got to get a ladle to take some of the disrespect, verbal abuse, and bullshit our law enforcement officers have to put up with all the time. But Colin Kaepernick, a shitty-ass fucking quarterback, spurs a fucking movement... That the flag 
God bless America. Everything about America is racist bullshit, which of November 9, 2020, a Democrat is in the White House, will go away like the bathwater, and then it'll be, if you're not flying your flag, you're a sexist because you didn't vote for Warren. If you're not flying your flag, you're an ageist because you didn't vote for fucking uh, <clears throat> Biden or Sanders, or you're a sexist racist if it's President Harris. Yeah. It seems like all this comes cyclically with when you don't have power, progressives, and media. Cyclically, if we have a Democrat, we don't have any op-eds on anything other than America is ist or o because they won't support the policies of this far-left president like we put up with the eight years for Obama. So, that was the worst thing I saw this week. What the fuck do you care if the national anthem is played at four in the fucking morning? It's happening in New York, you fucking moon bats. You can't get bluer than that. So, that wraps up this episode of Flower Politics Podcast. Please feel free to share this with your family and friends. And send comments by sending an email to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. podcast at gmail.com. Get the show on SoundCloud, Podcast Attic, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and Pocket Cast. Remember to check out the Facebook page at FOP Podcast and the Twitter page at FOP Tony Reed. <clears throat> We're going to shoot for a Friday podcast, but it's probably going to end up being Sunday. So let's just not lie to each other, and I'll say 10 November, Year of Our Lord, 2019. It will be very military-centric because Veterans Day is coming up. And I wanted to do a few military articles, but we'll still do it this way. And going forward, uh, Sean in Oregon, Matt in Oregon, a uh, little feedback. I'm kind of liking flipping the script and doing the fun shit up front and then doing the politics on the backside. Uh, I feel sometimes I'm running out of steam by the time I get to news and social media nuggets, but that seems to be the funnest shit. I, I really love that part of the show. So I'm thinking about doing news, news and social media nuggets up front all the time. So if you think that's a good idea, shoot me a text. Tell me it's a great idea, or tell me I'm a fucking dumbass. I mean, you're my brother, so just shoot it out there. Remember, disconnect from all your devices this week. Don't give the yeah, yeah, stay warm. It's going to get cold everywhere. And tune back in on Sunday for another sighting and episode. As always, thanks for listening. Take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count.